the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, May 30th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 243, powered by the National Pulse. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out Safe for Breakfast at thenationalpulse.com. There you'll find our exclusive members-only content and links that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Guys, big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Mm-hmm. We've got a great slate of guests. We're going to be sitting down with former ambassador to Denmark, Carla Sands, Ren, the raw egg nationalist, Richard Stern, economist from the Heritage Foundation, and Dr. Ron Paul for the first time. We've got a lot of headlines breaking over the weekend. Have we reached a deal on the debt ceiling? We don't think so, but we'll examine it. How was your Memorial Day, and is your tax dollars still going to fund now more than one foreign war? And we'll do a little GOP primary roundup. But before we get to any of the headlines, let's take it over to Texas and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, big Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. Obviously, everybody wants to be checking us out at thenationalpulse.com. That's thenationalpulse.com. Get you up to date on everything with Steak for Breakfast, including now our bonus episode, Red Meat, which is going to be airing every Sunday. Joining us first on the show today is a former presidential candidate and congressman from Texas, one of our favorite doctors, Dr. Ron Paul. Thanks for joining us on the show. Good. Nice to be with you today. Sir, it's our pleasure to host you. Uh, I couldn't think of a better time because we are in a large economic crisis in this country, to say the least. I'm pretty sure you had been tracking throughout the weekend the, I guess, negotiated deal that Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy came to uh, a head on heading into the weekend. And, And now we see a lot of people not too happy about it. What do you see uh, as far as some of the concessions made on both sides, and where do we go from here regarding the uh, reckless spending that it seems like we're still going to be partaking in? Well, I think uh, we can make a pretty good guess on this. Uh, it, it's not a mystery. It's going to be like the rest, only worse, because uh, these episodes are just sort of gimmicks, and uh, they're distractions. I don't think there was ever any serious attempt to change anything because they talk about tinkering. This time they emphasize that things were a little worse than usual. But uh, really, if you look at the military budget, uh, $886 billion in a strong bipartisan support, uh, nothing really was cut. Uh, so I, I'm very cynical about it. Uh, and uh, if if there are cuts, they're going to be very small, very temporary. A lot of those numbers are going to be fudged. And uh, if they don't change, you know, the philosophy of government, they're not going to change this, and they're going to keep running up these debts. Uh, I don't think for a minute there will be less deficits this, this, next year, uh, even with the legislation. So there's a lot of holes in the budget. And uh, if, if you don't accept the idea that you need to know what we believe in, uh, since nobody seems to follow and believe in the Constitution, what do they believe in? Whatever they can get. And it's, uh, you know, it's pure democracy. Who are, uh, if you can get enough groups together, you could become a gang, 
to demand stuff and say, these are our rights, <laughs> and that's endless. So that philosophy is so powerful that I expect that we're going to continue to bankrupt the nations in a much serious way, and uh, then we will have an opportunity because I have an, uh, a bit of optimism in me because I believe that most Americans still want to hear from us, and uh, and yet uh, it's it's uh, uh, that we're we're not in charge. Uh, the uh, media is in control. The deep state is in control. Uh, but I think uh, you know things things can improve. But the, the whole system of this uh, runaway government isn't going to improve until uh, we face up to the fact that the thing is collapsing on us. So, in other words, I think things are going to get much worse before they start to get better. Well, for as much as our listenership probably doesn't want to hear that, that is the honest truth, and that's kind of the only way you can cover it. Because when you look at I, I think the biggest thing that a lot of people aren't talking about enough is is that what wasn't negotiated was getting back to pre-COVID spending. We're going to remain at post-COVID spending, which can allow for, I mean, over $4 trillion to be continued to add to the national deficit. Republicans are trying to say, oh, no, this is a win because, you know, over 10 years we can reduce the deficit by $2.1 million, but, I mean... I don't consider myself an economist. I know you do, sir. When you say $4.5 trillion of wasteful spending coming in the near future compared up against maybe 2.1, uh, you know, deficit reduction over the course of 10 years. And, and at the same time, by staying post-COVID spending, you're allowing Joe Biden to, uh, you know, take another victory lap on this ridiculous amount of progressive spending, which has a lot of Green New Deal elements tied into it. It just seems like a recipe for disaster based off of the current economy in the United States and globally right now. You know, talking about uh, plans to out 10 years, I remember as a very young person when the Soviets were in charge and they periodically would come out for these five-year plans. This is our five-year plans and our production. It was all a farce, but again, it was their propaganda, and most of the Russians didn't even believe it. But here now we talk about, well, we'll accomplish something in about 10 years. Uh, in the first year, we'll nickel and dime it and pretend we're cutting back. And that, that's where the real problem is. And, and I think it's, uh, it, it, it's truth in the advertisement, all the propaganda and demagoguing that goes on. And uh, in some areas, it's very bipartisan. I think the, uh, the money for the military uh, is very much bipartisan. It's very, very aggressive. And, and one of the worst things we've done, uh, because uh, I think that uh, it creates a lot more danger Right now, you know, we just read this morning that uh, there were eight uh, eight uh, drone missiles shot by Kiev uh, uh, to and hit hit Russia, hit Moscow. But that's our money and our our directions and our permission. So we're we're already in in a, in a war with Russia, and uh, there's a lot of militancy on there, a lot of support for that, and unfortunately, the people. When they get frightened, they have to be scared. Then they go along with it because if what if uh, if people don't go along with it, oh, he's unpatriotic. He won't support the troops. I've heard that message before. Yeah, it's so funny when you don't want to blindlessly throw endless amounts of cash into some foreign war, something that popped up over the weekend. We're going to touch on it a little later in our show briefly because it's just kind of a developing story. It looks like the Taliban are invading small portions of Iran right now using all of the military equipment that we left there. And then obviously what's going on between Russia and Ukraine is one of the biggest hot topics in the world. And, and if you say anything like, Hey, don't you think we're just kind of like wasting a little bit more money than we should? Oh, 
Putin sympathizer. <laughs> this guy is a communist and, and he hates America. I mean, we saw Lindsey Graham over there gloating over the weekend saying how the money that's been poured into Ukraine is the best money that America's ever spent for anything. It kind of raises a couple flags of just like, I thought Republicans wanted a little bit more ballot bud or balanced budget and wanted to be fiscally responsible. And then you see them over there, like basically popping champagne on just wasting money for military equipment. It, it, it's pretty alarming. Uh, your example is a perfect example because just that example and understanding it should convert a lot of people uh, into, you know, maybe pursuing a little bit of common sense. We go into war 20 years in Iraq and 20 years in Afghanistan, and and we free up Iraq, and most of us sort of drop our dropped our interest, uh, but we were still there. Now we're building a second base that's next to the other base that we've had there all this time. It's right where all the oil is. just happens to be there, just like we've done in Syria. Weird. Then we go into Afghanistan, and, uh, and say Afghanistan was, uh, you know, at fault for 9-11, so we got to get the terrorists o- out over there. So that goes on for for uh, 20 years. Well, the Iraqis then uh, join Iran in alliance, and then the Afghans, you know, here, here are the Afga- Afghanis, they never lose. Eventually, they always win. Yep. And uh, now they, they're, they're allies with, with them, and they're going in uh, into Iraq. So our policy uh, is always the opposite of what we tell the people are doing. So uh, it's just that, see, I don't think people are going to wake up uh, be, uh, until the thing goes totally out of control and there is a bankruptcy and the empire has to shrink. It certainly does, and uh, there's no one-man solution uh, for all the problems that our country are facing right now, even though a lot of people would like to, you know, hope and sometimes even pray that that there might be. So the last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, Dr. Paul, uh, you know, I think it's very important. It kind of ties into all the problems that we're seeing as a country right now. As the 2024 presidential uh, race starts to heat up, are you seeing anybody that resonates as, as possibly being a better solution than obviously what we've got uh, now up in Washington, D.C., but that's going to be able to get this country back on track, not just economically is, you know, one of the things we're all interested here on the show, obviously one of the things you focus on a lot, but geopolitically it seems like we're in a lot worse footing than we were just two and a half years ago. Yeah, there is. uh, If there is, there's a few in Congress. There's one in Senate that I know, but uh, it isn't a (laughs) one-man job because it's a, whole philosophy that has to be changed and that's why i have a homeschooling program trying to change a generation of young people into understanding what a republic is all about what sound money is all about what the liberty is all about and not the garbage that they get from the government schools but the people would say well why did you go there and do that if you knew you weren't going to become a a a leader that would uh, reverse all this well it was mainly uh to plant seeds. That's what you, you're probably doing on your radio programs. Plant sure. seeds, get people interested, study. And uh, that's where the success is coming. Uh, there's so many people out there doing this. Uh, and, they, and we don't know. Uh, and it's been referred to as a remnant of people that always exist and clings to the truth. And that's essentially what's going now because, uh, you know, government is run by people who are truly nihilists. They don't believe in truth. They, be- they don't believe it's possible to know truth because it doesn't exist. And uh, the, it, the founders were very much aware of what they called the natural law, and it was ingrained in us. And uh, we, we, you know, basically followed it. 
not perfectly, obviously, but it was so much different when you had a higher law contesting with, uh, you know, nihilists that had no law because they have, they have no conscience. They can do anything they want. They, they can kill millions of people. There are millions of people that we were responsible for killing since 9-11, all over 9-11. It might be a big beef about 9-11 is, you know, when there's a more murder occurred, the question is, what was the motive? Who who had a motive that might have murdered this person? We we need to find that potential uh, criminal. But you know, but they never wanted to hear what was the motive of the people who you know killed themselves by bombing some of our buildings. You know, because they uh, they just uh, you know they they won't uh, they won't live up to that. So uh, they because they don't want to know. Right. Because if they did. And accept the principle that maybe maybe our foreign policy is really uh, messed up. No, it is right now, and uh, it seems like as as a lot of our geopolitical foes are are getting stronger and unifying behind the scenes. By the time they're ready to come forward and make it official, we're talking about the rise of BRICS, obviously, and then the alliance between China and Russia. You know, there's Iran and North Korea and a couple other countries, Brazil. Uh, you, you talk about global policy and, and, and the global economic and supply chain and how this could be negatively affected by some of these people overtaking the United States eventually in the economy. If we don't get things back under control, it's a recipe for disaster. Dr. Paul, this has been great sitting down with you for the first time today. Obviously, we were going to be hoping that you could come back at some point in the near future. We're going to live link anything you want to share with our listenership in the show description today. So anywhere on social media, websites, or anything, where can we find you? Yeah, what I do each day is I have a live stream program on ronpaullibertyreport.com, and uh, it's on uh, uh, Rumble. And uh, that's where I reach out to, And but I still, I still do my speaking engagements, and uh, I have a strong attraction to trying to educate young people that's why I have my homeschooling group. Doing absolutely fantastic work, Dr. Paul. It was great sitting down with you today. And, uh, again, we look forward to having you on in the future. This is the former congressman from Texas and the host of the Liberty Report, Dr. Ron Paul. Thanks for joining us on the show. Very good. Nice to be with you. Okay, I don't know how much rest you've gotten, but let's dive in because um, you got a deal and now you got to sell it to members. So let's talk a little bit more about some of those who are upset. Uh, Congressman Dan Bishop, Chad talked about him. He tweeted this after the call you had with the group last night. Heard the call. Rhinos congratulating McCarthy for getting almost Zippo in exchange for $4 trillion debt ceiling hike was enough to make you. And he used the vomit emoji. Actually, it's so bad they won't give a figure for the debt ceiling hike, only that it's suspended till first quarter of 2025. Our bill was a year less. Your reaction? He's probably a no vote. Well, that's okay, because more than 95% of all those in the conference were very excited. But think about this. We finally were able to cut spending. We're the first Congress to vote for cutting spending year over year. So you cut that back. You fully fund the veterans. You fully fund defense. But you take that non-defense spending all the way back lower than 22 levels. Now you get work requirements for TANF and SNAP, where the Democrats said that was a red line. Now you're able to reform NEPA. How frustrating we are. With It's been 40 years since you could streamline it. To build a road in America, takes you seven years of review. We now limit that where it's focused, where you can only review it for one to two years. We're going to get America working again. We get the process working again, where 
we always have these omnibuses at the end of the year. We now penalize the Congress if they don't get their jobs done. There is so much in this that's positive, and measure it to all the other debt ceilings. When Republicans had the presidency, the Senate, and the House, did they ever cut spending? No, they increased it. We were able to do this when the president said he wasn't even going to talk to us. This is really a step in the right direction. It puts us a trajectory that's different. We put a statutory cap on only spending 1% for the next six years. So we let government grow, but at a slower rate. So, mm. Mm. Well, coming out of our first sit down with Dr. Ron Paul, which was awesome. I don't know if you guys missed it while he was, you know, talking with us there. He <laughs> said he said he knew of one person up on Capitol Hill that knew they were talking no. about. I think there's one that knows what he's doing. <laughs> I can only allude that he might be talking about the uh, Rockacious, his, his, his progeny. <laughs> yeah, then that would be his son, Dr. Rand Paul, the senator. Um, but listen. We're we're gonna stay on this because this this is major. This is a a huge concession right now, and and as you heard Speaker McCarthy there say that ninety five percent of the caucus was enthusiastic about. I don't even know if you want to call it a deal regarding the debt ceiling. It's um, more like you know you want to buy this bridge in Brooklyn. I'm trying to figure out where the ninety five percent comes from because I I mean just in the last twelve hours I've gotten text messages from Congressman Eli Crane. Uh, you've had. <laughs> Mike Collins put on his Twitter account, really wished I could have spent Memorial Day not reading a 99-page Microsoft Excel spreadsheet on the budget, but that's where he's at. Most likely looks like a no from him. Mm. Obviously, I talked to uh, Wesley Hunt. Corey Mills uh, said he's a no, and then you've had a lot of the, uh, you know, America Firsters, even the ones all the way down to not so America First, like Nancy Mace come out and say that, that she's a no on this. And what can you say? You, you are staying at... Post-COVID levels of spending, you are getting billions, not trillions of dollars of cuts, uh, trillions potentially over the course of 10 years. But who knows with the change in government and where we're going to – we can't get the news cycle to stay calm for 24 hours. We're going to talk about cutting $2.1 trillion in government spending over the course of 10 years. Get the hell out of here. Mm. Um, And then what happens tomorrow? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, you know, we're just going to continue to look at this at the top half of our show today. We – Started with Dr. Ron Paul, we're going to be jumping in with Richard Stern. You know, he really does a good breakdown of, of government spending up on Capitol Hill. He looks at all the appropriations and annual budgets and, and is really one of the good ones. So he'll be joining us at the end of this segment. And, uh, you know, then we'll move on because this is going to be kind of filling up the news cycle, at least until the vote tomorrow. And then depending on where it goes, remember, it's a full floor House vote. So even if you don't have 95% of the Republican caucus, like McCarthy said, if you have the entirety of the Dems vote on it, as yes, simply because they want to get the administration and obviously their side, a W heading into the 2024 election cycle, then, you know, we're probably going to see this deal passed. McCarthy would go on to uh, hit on these topics with Shannon Breen when he sat down with her on Fox News Sunday. And uh, I wanted to play the other half of this, so let's hear it. Point. Um, there's a lot there, but on that issue of spending, the White House is sending around its side. And of course, they're going to take credit, too, and, and want a victory lap. They say this, there are no budget caps after 2025, only non-enforceable appropriations targets. We all know how non-enforceable targets work in Washington. So they say you might have gotten something for a year or two, but after that, there's nothing to it. No, first of all, watch what the government has done before. They increased it. Okay, but are they, are they not telling us the truth there? No, you have a statute 
statutory cap on there. Job, We've got to be able to stay in the majority. Then we could have a rule to be able to keep it going forward. The, the other thing you have here, too, is for the very first time, you have administrative PACO. We had a president that spent another $1.5 trillion around Congress. That can no longer happen. Meaning if he That's takes executive statute. actions. I'm sorry, he's what? Got, meaning if he takes executive actions, he's got he's to cut to be able to go forward. Talk about where he's going to pay for it. He doesn't have to talk about it. He has to do it. That would have saved us $1.5 trillion in the first two years of this presidency. That's a major savings. That has never been in law before, and now it's being put into law. If you look at each movement here, this is a whole new direction. Just think about how this even came to fruition. Normally, you have a 1,000-page bill. This is going to be less than 150 pages. Normally, the country doesn't know about it till after it's passed. No, we'll wait 72 hours. This is worthy of the American people. I want them to read it. I want them to understand it. We only have the majority in one house with a five-seat majority, with a president who said we would never talk about this, who had Chuck Schumer said this would be a clean debt ceiling, we would just raise it. That's not the case. You've got work requirements to help people out of poverty into jobs. You've got reforms that we can build things, cut the red tape. We capped so the president can't just spend money wildly. We're actually spending less than we spent last year. That hasn't happened in Congress. So maybe it doesn't do everything for everyone, but this is a step in the right direction that no one thought we would be at today. Well, what do you guys think? I mean, he does make a decent sales pitch, but... I mean, it sounds like there's positives, but at the same time, yeah. like with the negatives, do they outweigh it drastically? It's the post-COVID spending ceiling that he's saying. <laughs> like, we're spending less next year than we did this year, but it's still at post-COVID numbers, which is ridiculous. Remember... We added that $7 trillion of debt to the national uh, deficit when COVID happened. So if, if we're going at those ridiculous spending numbers and there's no more global pandemic and there's a, a broken jobs market and a, and a essentially ruined economy that's in like a transitional recession period right now, it, it, is it really a win? It's the $4.5 trillion of spending that the Democrats can enact over the course of the next three years based off the 2.1 that Republicans say they could shave off the budget over 10. And, and it just, it it's the biggest thing for me. And I think the biggest thing for the America first crowd that's listening to this podcast right now, that's like, yeah, but what does the debt ceiling really mean to me by continuing to spend at post COVID levels? It's going to continue to keep the economy completely crappy gas prices, food prices, shelter prices that almost 70 percent of your income what, what it's going to right now is going to remain and as the market continues to get scared because now they're going to see if they agree on this bill they're going to be like well nothing's changing so everything's just going to continue to spiral down and get worse uh what do you think that's going to do to the jobs market to the dollar value to you know in the inflationary rate in the united states you think it's just going to stay the same because we're agreeing to not change something that's already broken no it's going to get worse mm -hmm. exactly and uh, my biggest thing is, and should be everybody out here who's a potential voter that's listening to the show, this takes the issue of the debt ceiling and kicks it down the road through the 2024 presidential election cycle. It does not make it an issue for something that we could have notched as a win, the Dems could have notched as a defeat, and something that the Republican candidates right now in the GOP primary could use is hitting Joe Biden on when we get into the debate process, uh, you know, a little over a year from now. So now it just falls into whoever it ends up being next lap. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be a, a, the problem for the next president. And I mean, Antoinette, without knowing all of the intricacies of what's going on with this negotiation right now, we all saw how much of a hard time we had with these omnibus bills when Donald Trump was president and 
shut down the government. They wouldn't fund the wall and, you know, made it look like he was just. But but then you had Donald Trump bring in what the omnibus bill looked like and and the stacks of paper went from the floor to the ceiling and filled up half of the Mm -hmm. press room. So, I mean, do you think this is a smart move by McCarthy allowing this to not be something that we could use against you? Where's Joe Biden getting his losses from? He's still going to have his enormous slate of of progressive crap that he's been able to pass. And he's still Mm going to tell you that he's the best jobs and economy president in the history of the galaxy. I mean, are you asking my opinion? Yeah. Like what McCarthy said? I mean, he said some good things, but it's just like, you know, time will tell. It's not going to get any better. I feel like you said it's going to get worse before it does. I just I don't know how I'm kind of like just to wait and see. And kind of brace for the worst, to be honest. Yeah, you, you think as someone that, I mean, you're pretty dialed into the business sector. You know how bad it's gotten uh, out where you live over the course of the last couple of years, especially since Joe Biden took over coming out of the oh, pandemic. Yeah. Potentially, like you have things in, in, in Nevada right now, like the jobs market, gas prices and inflation mm-hmm. at rates that we've never seen in places yeah. like where you live. Like, do you do you think like places like Las Vegas are going to be able to get back to prosperous business ventures and, and, and you know, having wealth again if we, we stay at this rate of spending? I mean, Las Vegas is a little different because we've got the tourism and, you know, people come here and people still spend money and whatnot, but it's getting really difficult for the everyday person, you know, to survive, to even go to work. You know, I I filled up gas the other day and I was like, oh shit, $4 and 48 cents now again. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's 120 bucks for me to fill up my truck every time. And I get like, if I drive nice, 340, 360, maybe if I drive like an asshole, 300 miles out of it yeah same my smaller car it costs me about 80 bucks because i have to fill up premium and my um bigger car because i have to fill up premium is at least 120 depending on Mm -hmm. if i go to costco or chevron you know yeah it's multiple times a month yeah 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 i mean we're getting ready to come around for the reoccurring annual payments for all my kids club sports i don't want to sound like first world problems but it's like Okay, first you have the ridiculous payments. My daughter plays two club sports. My son's going to be playing his first this year. And then not only that, but they're all travel. So you're talking about gas, lodging, uh, missing work sometimes because of these things. And just all adds up. And then... And then groceries, it's like, yeah. I think we even talked about it before. Like you go, I go to the store now and I'm like, what the hell did I buy? And I spent this much money? Like they're like... It's like half, like a fraction of what I used to be able to buy before with what I spend now. It's, no, it's you're completely right. Uh, I went to the grocery store this weekend. We got our week's worth of groceries, which I usually get like five or six meals worth. And then all, you know, whatever it takes, the dairy and the lunch stuff and the snacks for my kids. And yeah. But then I went and got the extra stuff because we did like a barbecue with our in-laws yesterday. And it, it was an extra $110 than what I usually spend, which is already around $300. For I, I literally spent almost 500 bucks at the grocery store this weekend. Yeah, and and that like, would, that, yeah. Easy. And I mean, you know, we've all got families and, and it's just, uh, it's, it doesn't look like it's a win to me. And, and that's what, that's, yeah. that's what we're kind of letting you know that regardless of whether your favorite congressman, you know, is out there promoting this or disavowing it, you're going to have to be able to use your actual discernment on where this is going to affect you economically and, and in the home. So I saw that uh, Republican House member Dusty Johnson out of South Dakota, he made it on State of the Fake Union this week with Jake Tapper and was kind of telling the same story that Kevin McCarthy was before we actually get into where America First is out of this. Let's hear him. 
non-defense and non-VA spending back to 2022 levels. That is a big get for Republicans. Still That's what we had in Limit, Save, Grow. And it's going to save $1.5 trillion over the course of the next 10 years. It also, for six years, establishes caps at 1% so we can slow the growth of spending. But, Jake, we're going to unlock American energy. We are going to provide shot clocks. Uh, for NEPA review, environmental review of 12 months and 24 months. That is going to help whether you like renewable energy or traditional energy. This is going to help unlock that energy. Speed up the process. By Speed up people... the process. Okay. You know, and finally, uh, just a big thing. It's, it's administrative pay-go. When you have the administration step forward and propose some vast new regulation that's going to cost hundreds of billions of dollars, now they have to go find the money within the existing bureaucracy. It is a huge strike against a growing regulatory state. Everybody I'm talking to, Jake, understands that when you're reducing spending, that when you're uh, peeling back the regulatory state, uh, when you are unlocking American energy, when you're getting people back to work, this is a big deal. Mm. I mean, listen, again, he talks about those NEPA regulations. That's the, uh, the way that, you know, we, we can tap American energy uh, and, and all of the red tape that we have to cut through to get there. If you hear the signal through the noise... You, you can quickly come to the conclusion, he said, yeah, now once this is passed, we get into a process to where now 12 to 24 months is the max review. What happens in the next 12 to 24 months? Hmm. We get a new president in the White House, hopefully, right? Uh, hopefully. <laughs> so does, does this change anything in regards to the way Joe Biden has destroyed the American energy sector? No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No change. None. For him, not even a little bit. No. So, what what big energy tapping deals are the Republicans going to hang their hat on as they move into the twenty twenty four presidential election cycle as well? Um, I know what I want to hang my hat on is to let our listenership know wherever you're listening today, whether it be on Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart. Make sure you subscribe to the show, rate the show, write a review, and then on social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast podcast, follow us, hit the notification bell there as well, and anything pertinent coming out, uh, you know, you'll be more informed. In addition to that, if you want to just soup to nuts it, you can find us on our new landing page at thenationalpulse.com. Make sure you sign up for Pulse Plus. Now you'll get our Sunday edition of the show, Red Meat. Oh! <laughs> 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 which we're super excited about. We just uh, launched our first edition of the show this week. It was a part one -er with the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, one of our great friends. Our listenership loves when he comes on, Mr. Raheem Kassam. This week we're going to be doing a an episode with uh, former assistant Treasury Secretary in the Trump administration, Monica Crowley, host of the Monica Crowley podcast. And then we're going to circle back next week and get that part two with Raheem Kassam. So make sure you're signed up at the nationalpulse.com. Sign up for Pulse Plus as well. Join the family of us, Fleckus, and more over there at the, the nationalpulse.com. He would continue to go on, and I'm talking about Representative Dusty Johnson, and of course you know they're going to take a little bit of knock at America first. So let's, let's hear how he took that angle. A lot of grumbling from conservatives in your caucus. Uh, Congressman Ken Buck called this uh, deal a debt ceiling surrender. Congressman Ralph Norman said it was insanity. Congressman Bob Good uh, tweeted that no one claiming to be a conservative could justify a yes vote. Their basic criticism uh, is that McCarthy gave up too much and could have uh, gotten more. What, what, how do you say, what do you say to that? Well, 
I'm the head of a group of 75 pragmatic conservatives called the Main Street Caucus. And Mm. so when we say conservatives are against it, I want to make it clear, uh, I don't know a single one of the mainstream caucus conservatives. conservatives, Uh, Well, and even some of them, I listen, there will (laughs) be freedom caucus (laughs) people who vote for this package. So when you're saying that conservatives have concerns, it is really uh, the most colorful conservatives. Some of those guys you mentioned didn't vote for the thing when it was uh, kind of a Republican (laughs) wish list, limit, save, grow. Those votes were never really in play. We get that, but uh, overwhelmingly, Republicans in this conference are going to support the deal. How could they not? It is a fantastic deal. Fantastic deal? Oh. I wouldn't like to be that guy when uh, he's in the bathroom. Oh. <laughs> Byron Donalds and Wesley Hunt walk in. <laughs> what you talking about, colorful Republicans? Man, it was just... Interesting to watch how this weekend unfolded. It seemed like where we had the upper hand for so long, uh, we kind of just let it slip away and then caved. Republicans like good old Dusty Johnson. That's a funny name. (laughs) We're trumpeting Kevin McCarthy's talking points and at the same time, you know, making excuses. That's why he had to always go back and say it was a fantastic deal. I got to put the lipstick on the pig. I I bet you uh, the Heritage Foundation... Economist Richard Stern is not going to agree with him. There was a uh, good analysis I saw. I believe it was on Thomas Massey's Twitter. And it was the final debt ceiling in quotation marks now deal. This is what was, you know, the Limit Save Grow Act that passed in the House, which kind of cornered the Biden administration. And uh, it's a lot different than the GOP, quote, deal with the, quote, swamp. Mm. So... They wanted $131 billion cut to annual spending a year and, and shrink spending to uh, pre-COVID numbers for at least 10 years. Hmm. W- what we're getting is, at best, a two-year freeze in spending and $12 billion in top-line cuts, which are negotiated by spending that could grow to the federal bureaucracy and be reproposed as COVID-19 funds. Well, how much of a freeze in spending could it really be, though? The amount of money that the federal government is exerting to deal with all the migrants and funding these NGOs and FEMA and all this other stuff that this money is like, I mean, they were trying to, the DHS thing was posting that they weren't flying illegals everywhere. I like that community notes. And the community notes hit him and said, eh, this is, you know, a little bit of an exaggeration because yes, you are. The federal government (laughs) pays for all of this through NGOs and FEMA. And here's a link to the DHS mm-hmm. budget, which appropriates for the NGOs. Yes. Perfect. It was FEMA too, right? Yep. Yeah. No, but it's like the amount of money that they're exerting, like just, just on, let's say, for instance, space blankets. Mm. <laughs> or Capri Suns. Or Capri Suns. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I mean, the amount of money on fruit snacks is astronomical. I just can't even imagine like, and then processing all these people, like, you know how the government works. Everything's on paper. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We'll be able to get a uh, inside the numbers with now news nation national correspondent, Jorge Ventura, who should be joining us for our Friday edition of the show this week. Nice. He's got a great promotion, but was able to uh, still contribute here at steak for breakfast. So we're not seeing any of the work requirements for SNAP and, and Medicaid and any of those government funded. So people who aren't working and getting government assistance really don't have to change anything. There were minor work requirements that are, you know, injected into what McCarthy agreed on. The HR1, 
which is what everybody uh, kind of ran on in, in, on the Republican side for Congress, the repealing the 87,000 IRS agents, still getting this 87,000 IRS agents. Um, Motherfucker. Yep. Repeal the Democrats' 1.2 trillion IRA unreliable energy tax break for the rich corporations in communist China. It preserved it. Fully overturned Biden's half-trillion student loan bailout for gender studies majors. Upholds it. Rescind the $80 billion Dems gave to the IRS. Again, for the 87000 They keep 98% of it. That's the actual number. So I guess we're getting 81000 IRS agents. That's the quick math right there. I mean, less is good, but that's still a shit ton of IRS agents that yeah. aren't going to be going after anybody but us. And they're only reclaiming... 28 of 50 billion in unobligated, unspent, and unsolicited COVID funding. As we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with Richard Stern, I do have one more. Byron Donalds was out on the steps of the Capitol this morning. I'm sure they are going to have a spirited debate behind closed doors today. He had a couple nice things to say about his Memorial Day weekend and this bill that's coming down the pike. Let's hear him. So, first things first, to the American people, Washington is doing it again. So first things first to the American people, Washington is doing it again. While you were celebrating Memorial Day, all of our men and women who gave their lives for this great nation, and you were spending time with your family and your friends, this town was cutting another crap deal that's gonna put you more in debt with no real changes whatsoever. So the American people need to understand full and well, do not listen to the talking points. Do not listen to the cool phrases that are being thrown out in commercials on CNN or Fox or MSNBC Mm. because Washington is lying again. This bill has no cap in raising the debt, just a date in the future. We have no idea what that number is going to look like. Some people are saying 4 trillion. Some people are saying 3.5 trillion. This bill in year one might cut $12 billion if you just want to be generous. So who here thinks it's cool to cut $12 billion in exchange for $4 trillion? I don't think that's cool at all. This bill actually keeps the Biden baseline intact for the federal agencies. The Republicans in Congress have been saying for months that we need to get back to pre-COVID spending levels. This bill canonizes post-COVID spending levels brought to us by Joe Biden and the Democrats. This bill keeps all of Joe Biden's policy, all of Joe Biden's spending intact. This bill does nothing for the Green New Deal subsidies that are going to cripple our electric grid. So when Americans are trying to figure out that they went and bought this electric car that they were subsidized to buy, but when they plug it in, there's not enough electricity on the grid. That is because Washington subsidized all these Green New Deal projects and nobody stood up to it except for people standing behind me right now. To my Republican colleagues, do not vote for this bill. I'm telling you right now, your voters back home are going to look at you and say, why did you vote for a bill that keeps all of Joe Biden's policy in place? And all you did was raise the debt ceiling. They're going to tell you, why did you not stand up and demand that they go back to the table and renegotiate this deal? These negotiations happened. Seems like he's pretty fired up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whenever we played Byron Donalds, we got to do tail of the tape. I, I believe last time I checked, he was 6'2", 275, African-American. Ain't scared of shit. He's not scared <laughs> of shit. And, and letting everyone have it. 
So that, that kind of sums it up as far as America First goes. You, you've heard the speaker. You've heard the establishment. He even called himself the establishment, so he was in charge of Oops. You know, represented 75 establishment, Main Street Uh-oh. conservative. And then you, you heard what America First said, so we're going to continue to you know track all of this as it heads to a vote on Wednesday. Obviously, we'll, we'll probably do a touch on this at some point on the show on Friday. So if it doesn't get passed, what they have to just like regurgitate it out again and change things? It's back to the negotiation table. And how long is that going to take? Well, Joe Biden said he was never going to negotiate, and here we are. I kind of want him to. I want him to negotiate again. It seems <laughs> like Joe Biden not negotiating has gotten us to nothing changes with the way he spends our money. Yeah. So we'll have to see what happens, uh, and we're going to kind of get into this a little bit more at Richard Stern right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh! You gotta try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bills. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12 pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bill's traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a former Hill staffer who now works for the good guys over at the Heritage Foundation. He's the director of the Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget, and he's going to be explaining a lot to us and our listenership today. Richard Stern, thanks for joining us on the show. And thank you for having me on. Oh, man, do we have a lot to talk about. So we started off our show with Dr. Ron Paul. He kind of like laid it out for us, and then we did a little bit of uh, – you know, the, the spiciest parts of the weekend regarding what's going on with the debt ceiling. And uh, here we are parlaying it directly into you. We, we It seems like there's just a lot of confusion up on the Hill. What's being uh, spent, how it's being spent, the time frames that it's being spent, what it reduces, what it increases. And uh, it seems like there's a lot of people, even now starting from both sides of the aisles, as we're into Tuesday now coming out of the holiday, who aren't really thrilled with this. As, as someone who you know basically examines this stuff, breaks it down, and provides analysis for a living on it, what can you say uh, regarding where we're going with this? And, and what are some of the potential outcomes as we head into the week and a potential vote tomorrow? So I think that confusion you're talking about is very intentional from kind of everybody involved in all of this. Uh, as you pointed out, being a former Hill staffer doing appropriation stuff, it's designed to be confusing to hide to the American public exactly how much we're stealing from you and exactly how stupid the stuff is we're spending your money on. So I'll give you a perfect example of this. One of the talking points is that this bill is going to cut, you know, two something trillion dollars in government spending. Well, here's the rub on that, though. The Congressional Budget Office, that's the the inside math calculator people for Congress, they put together assumptions in future growth of spending. Now, a lot of that isn't money that in-law is going to get spent. It's actually just CBO pontificating on how much they think Congress will spend. So something like 90 plus percent of that $2 trillion number that they're claiming that this bill will cut isn't actually cut the spending. It's a cut to CBO's assumptions about how much growth we're going to have in spending. So this is Congress telling you that they're anticipating on stealing that 90% from you, and now they're anticipating not stealing that 90% from you. That's not really a cut. So at the end of the day, the bill is only cutting maybe $12 billion from next year's spending. So you ask the question of where does this leave us? 
it leaves us largely on exactly the same fiscal path we're on. It's going to leave us with exactly the same inflation and interest rate crisis and, and still, frankly, on a pathway to bankruptcy. Now, when you say leaves us on the same uh, spending and inflation crisis that we're in right now, we're talking post-COVID spending, which is ridiculously higher than pre-COVID spending, something a lot of the House Republicans wanted to get back to, number one. Now, now when you say it could lead us down the same track, doesn't it uh, kind of open the door to make it worse? Because knowing that the economy of the United States is going to be post-COVID spending for at least through the 2024 presidential election cycle, that's going to that's gonna spook a lot of the market, I think, uh, domestically and abroad, saying that the United States basically doesn't care about being fiscally responsible and just blindly spending and pouring money everywhere, which is in turn eventually hurts the economy, you know, drives down the value of the dollar and, and hurts the job market. So potentially things uh, at a domestic economic level could get potentially worse, right? Oh, you're absolutely correct about that. I, I think the important thing about this, right, and this is the thing that the government bureaucrats try to hide, right? is government doesn't add to ec to the economy, right? What the government does is it steals money from you, it redirects value that other people produce. And there's one other point of this, and this is actually one of the things I, I hate the most about the way that people that talk about, you know, that say government spending contributes to GDP. Here's the thing they miss about that. The technical contribution of government to GDP is where people work for the government. So these are people who could have done jobs that provided real value to other people, that could have built real buildings, factories, produced real products, and instead, they're government bureaucrats. And that's the, quote, contribution of the government to the economy. So to your point, you're spot on. This largely leaves of a government that will consume more and more of what you produce, that is already taking a quarter of the dollars produced by Americans and rerouting it and using it the way that the bureaucrats want. And that's exactly what this leaves us still in the position of. Now, I did also hear you say in, in your explanation that the actual cuts are coming in the form of billions, not trillions. When you talk about the spending of the federal government, especially you know on, on a totality of domestic spending and then going into the global economy, you have to talk in trillions, billions, really. Billions is what we kick down to Ukraine or, or not spend on our southern border. Trillions is what we do to keep the lights on, not just here, but all over the world. And... and you know, Republicans now are kind of segueing and saying, yeah, it's not exactly what we wanted, but we're going to be able to get money back in the appropriations process with the 12 bills that are supposedly coming down the pike. There's already people who are saying like, okay, you may be able to get some of the money back or cut some of the reckless spending and maybe DEI or, uh, you know, some of the green energy policies, but you're not getting trillions of dollars back in the appropriations uh, process. In, in addition to that, it, it seems like it leaves Republican with no economic platform to kind of stand on heading into uh, 2024. And it, and it actually, you know, gives Joe Biden another win legislatively on his uh, pol political agenda that he's been able to kind of ram through throughout the course of the last two and a half years. And just makes for more of a mess. Do you see kind of the same thing, like the appropriations process moving forward for House Republicans is not the way to kind of do anything in regards to wasteful spending on a meaningful level? I see exactly what you're talking about. And here's the sad part about this. The appropriations process was intended by the founders in the Constitution to be exactly the kind of safeguard that you're talking about it should be. And, and the truth is, it could be. It's really just that, sadly... The people that are running the show there don't want to use it that way. You know, I the the thing that I tell people, and it, it started as a joke, and it's it's really just too serious, is that the Republican Party in many ways is the generic version of the left. They tax, they spend, they regulate, they just do a little bit less of it. 
And and to your point on this, that gap is is shrinking, right? And so why vote generic when you can vote brand? And I, I personally think that's a lot of the reason why the left gets away with this, where the right seems to have only that as its platform, the generic version of what the left does. And, and you know, I think you raised an interesting point here. What we gave to Ukraine last year is about nine times the spending cut that this bill is promising in the appropriations process. So what what through the approach through a supplemental approach process, Congress just very willy nilly just threw over to Ukraine is nine times the supposed one year approach cut that we're going to get right now. And then on all of those other things you were talking about, uh, maybe they'll get some kind of extra win. But do you really think that they'll get some win in the approach process, considering this is the deal that they fought hard to get? And to be perfectly honest, part of what's in this bill, part of what's been coming out is side deals they have with the White House where they will actually allow increases in spending yeah. if the White House is willing to give up some of its slush fund money. So, I mean, that's what we're looking at. And when you look at the amount of money that's been dumped into post-COVID spending, there's a lot of slush fund for the White House to trim off and not make it seem like a huge W for House Republicans. Uh, and, and then you have to look at potential outcome. Richard, I hate to say it, but I'm seeing people on social media start to throw out their words like government shutdown and even less appealing to probably anybody on the conservative side, omnibus bill. Are, are these two potential uh, roads that we could go down if we get past the debt ceiling and move into the annual budget debate? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things I want to be very clear about this bill on is that it's being discussed as if the bill is a trade of the debt ceiling increase for a cut the spending. That's not actually what's happening. The bill will give a very real two-year-long blank check in terms of a debt ceiling suspension to Joe Biden. But what it's doing is giving a promise on spending levels. It's putting into law limits on discretionary spending, but those are limits that Congress could change at any moment. And then here's the other part of that. It doesn't actually provide any funding level. So if we pass this bill, sign in the law, it doesn't avoid a government shutdown. So the moderates who usually flee to any funding bill to avoid a shutdown, they're still going to have that pressure to vote for a funding bill just to avoid a shutdown. And that bill could easily renegotiate these supposed limits that the bill is putting on discretionary spending. And and then, yes, what is in this bill is slight incentives to get not a CR, not a cut the current levels, but to get an omnibus bill. So I, I think you've read that exactly right. That's uh, definitely not something that we're looking forward to because we've seen, you know, how that's been negotiated or not over the, I mean, it's a lot of grandstanding, then usually a government shutdown, which leads to the omnibus eventually getting passed because they say, oh, because we have to take care of the American people. This has to get passed. We'll, we'll, we'll do a better job next time. And they've thrown so much garbage in the omnibus bill. It's just devastating. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the one way to get rid of, you know, breaking down the 12 appropriations bills on, on a bill by bill basis and, and, you know, just kind of undercuts everything that McCarthy made in, in the, to the pledge to the American people in his, you know, candidacy for Speaker of the House. Richard, what can you say? I mean, we have to take some of the blame and shift it over to actually the source of the problem, and that's the Biden administration. I mean, I don't think Joe Biden really has his hands too much into actual this stuff. His, they always refer back to his team as those who are actually working with Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. But when you look at the cabinet-level positions, namely Janet Yellen, I mean, at the end of her stint with this administration, if she lasts the next year and a half, she will be collecting five federal pensions for the amazing work that she's done on behalf of the American people. And I guess you could really say she 
redefine the way the economy works and, and not be exaggerating. How does she get held accountable for any of this? It seems like every time we get close, like what McCarthy had the Biden administration backed into just last week with the debt ceiling, we, we go through a weekend like we just have, and now it's back on her giving talking points on how this is the best you know foot forward for the American people. I, I think the, the only thing that has grown faster than government is the amount of garbage that ends up in omnibus bills. Yeah. And that is very much kind of the answer to that question, which is that, yeah, every time conservatives seem to have the upper hand, they have an ability here, they, they talk a good game. We're going to impeach this person, impeach that, you know, set their, their salary the zero dollars. They don't do it. Right. And I really what this requires is the American public to stand up and say, no more. We're tired of this. And you know, I, I uh, your 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 point about uh, Yellen readjusting the way our economy works. She has single handedly normalized the concept of the federal government just printing trillions and trillions of dollars as if they mean nothing. And to the government, they do mean nothing. But to real Americans, they're your life savings. They're a representation of the hard work you do to get your paycheck. They're a representation of the businesses you've built, what you've saved for your kids and for future generations. To her. They're literally just bits of paper that comes out of the printing presses at the Fed. And so, you know, her and Jerome Powell and, and all of them yeah. really have put this this sick, perverted kind of understanding of economics on the country. And and I'll, I'll, I'll say this part. What the left does broadly, what they do that they get away with, is they have offered the American public false promises. They've said, I'll give you spending and buy the stuff you want. Don't ask me where it comes from. They've been able to offer that while hiding from people, then inflation is a tax on everybody. By hiding from people, the taxes on businesses just reduce wages and increase prices. That's how they've gotten away with this, by making you think that they're giving you something for free and hiding completely off the scene who they've harmed, what they've destroyed, what they have cost us to get those prized possessions for their friends. No, it's it's exactly the point there. And I think when you when you just look at it, we had a real opportunity here to kind of make some, you know, philosophical and, and probably generational changes to the way money's spent. We we talked a good game. It seems like, you know, there's a lot of House Republicans now who are saying no, but this is gonna be a full floor vote, which means Democrats obviously want to get the W because they haven't had one in a while. You talk about the economy, you talk about the border, gas prices going back up, you know, and, and all the things going on geopolitically, they have to be able to to you know run on a w here at some point and it just seems like we've really missed an opportunity here uh unless something major changes between now and tomorrow but uh that's going to be for another show to for us to discuss on richard this has been awesome sitting down with you for the first time today we are obviously going to be having you back because after we get through the debt ceiling debacle now that it's turning into we are going to be talking appropriations and just things related to the economy i think the staying at post-covid spending leads into uh a huge fear for the market moving down the road. A lot of people are saying, well, everything just kind of stays where it is. But at the same point, this is going to, I think, hurt uh, domestic business big time. Uh, you know, if we keep spending in the fashion we have for the last couple of years, and we're going to need you to help us break it down. So in, in addition to uh, live linking your, your page and the Heritage Foundation today, where can we find you on social media? So uh, you can find me at, at Ray Stern on Twitter. You can find all the stuff I put out. I put out everything you know. I write and comment on things like this. And and it's been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate all the the work that you guys do 
the focus on these issues really to make sure people understand not the talking points, but the real, the reality of what the government's doing and, and what the left has been pushing on us. Well, we got to let them know, and, and that you said it right there. It's the reality of what's actually happened, not just the the hot topping points you hear from your favorite congressman and woman on TV when they jump on with you know Sean Hannity or anybody like that. This is the uh, director of the Center for the Federal Budget at the Grover M. Herman Center, Richard Stern from the Heritage Foundation. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. We're reminded by the hundreds of graves here in Section 60 of Arlington and across our nation, the story of the women and men who sacrificed everything to keep democracy safe and secure during the last two decades. Each of them, each of them, a link in the chain of honor that stretches back to our founding fathers in those days, unbreaking, unbending, not just in their duty and devotion, but something even deeper, and their faith in us, their faith in us, that we will be worthy of their sacrifice. Our service members have always embodied the highest expectations of our democracy. They've always held faith in our country and all that we could be, a citadel of liberty, a beacon of freedom. For our democracy is our strength, the wellspring of possibilities, and the source of endless, endless renewal. It's how we've been able to constantly change and adapt through the centuries. It's why we've always emerged from every challenge we face stronger than we entered it. It's how we come together as one nation, united. And why there's nothing we can't do in America when we do it together. It's the truth. Yeah. Is this coming from probably the most divisive administration ever? Ever. We're going to do it together? Our strength is us being together? (laughs) And our service members are going to be proud of what's going on in the military right now? woke bullshit and mm-hmm. drag queen <laughs> recruiting. Well, we're talking about post-COVID spending. What about post-COVID vaccine requirements? Yeah, k- kicking a bunch of people out for standing up for their fucking beliefs? Man, fuck you. Mm. Yeah, as we as we observed Memorial Day yesterday. Yeah, I, that was disrespectful. It's come, I've come to the conclusion Joe Biden has two speeds right now. It's He's still uh, more interesting than DeSantis, though, when he reads something. We'll get into that a little yeah. bit later. <laughs> He's or, sorry, DeSantis. DeSantis. <laughs> Yelling and screaming or sniffing kids. Those are the only two things that he does at these speaking engagements anymore. I mean, there's there's, there's no in-between. And you have to be able to compartmentalize the fact that he, he's got no filter. Um, you know, speaking for veterans, with the backdrop of Arlington National Cemetery, to be yelling and screaming like that, and it's like these people fought over the last two decades for the right to believe in us. Does that mean like people go to war and defend like the freedom of our republic to believe in the politicians up on Capitol Hill? Yeah. Makes no- <clears throat> Who writes this shit? Back to the sniffing thing, I saw something that was literally amazing. Mm. It was like a meme and it said something about somebody just told me that Montana looks like Joe Biden sniffing Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I've seen that. that- <laughs> 
Oh I saw God. that and I was like, well, who came up with that? It's brilliant. I know. It's it was so funny when I saw it too. I was like, but you wow. can't you can't unsee it. No, you really cannot. <laughs> we have to take into consideration on this Memorial Day how we have seen some of the most reckless policies regarding our military, not just the domestic ones like vaccine mandates and stuff like that, or drag queen recruiter things drag queen recruiting hour yeah (laughs) but where this money that we've been recklessly spending for a long time over the course of the last two decades that's probably the thing that he was most in tune with is going i don't know if you guys caught this but uh the real life mr garrison lindsey graham Mm. jet set over to kiev over the weekend oh good to sit down how much did that cost our tax tax dollars oh you want to hear can't you put him on a fucking zoom meeting he's not going to wear a suit anyway you know, now now they have Nike dry fit t-shirts, so Nike swoosh <laughs> on the sleeve that say Ukraine across the front like it's a fucking soccer kit. No, that's the oh, thing. That's no what way. this mentality is. This mentality is turning war into fucking sports teams. Mm-hmm. That's what it is yeah, now. Basically. Like, I'm surprised Zelensky's not doesn't have, like, fucking Dunkin' Donuts on the back of it or something like that, like a goddamn NASCAR. Ooh, yeah, what, no. what are they going to put on our F-16s? Hey, we saw the really nice video of the inside of the Kiev McDonald's over the weekend. It looks nicer than a lot. <laughs> yeah, the McDonald's, the, what, the mall. What, well, what other videos did we see the from airport. this weekend? Oh, the airport, yeah. Well, well, the funny thing was they did, like, here's a McDonald's in Kiev, and they had, like, the split screen, and they're like, here's a McDonald's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> and it was, like, 10 <laughs> People beating the shit out of each other in the fucking dining room. There's more war in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But, but you want to hear a really bad joke about where the money's going. Let's hear Lindsey Graham hot mic'd when he's with Zelensky. Free or die. Free or die. Now you are free. Yes. And we will be. And the Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. Mm. Ever. Thanks wow. So much. I expect in the coming days and weeks <coughs> for the Ukrainian <laughs> counteroffensive you coughing on your own bullshit? Results. <laughs> And I'm here to tell you that the last chapter of the Battle of Bakhmut is yet to be written. Uh. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that the Russian military we got Bakhmut in the bag. is about to have holy hell unleashed upon them. Holy hell. Oh, my gosh. Oh, 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 wow. Oh. Yeah, fucking guy. Oh, don't worry. Shannon Bream had a busy <laughs> Fox Sunday morning because Lindsay was, uh, I think he made it over to, he went from Ukraine and then he jet set, again, on our taxpayer dollar over to the UK because, remember, Boris is getting ready to, uh, who's not the PM anymore, to discuss negotiations. So now he's just flying with our taxpayer dollars to go see just random dudes that aren't, like, in right. charge anymore? Not random dudes. He's shaking people down for money. Oh. So, wow. Well, if they're going to start pitching money and we don't have to, then, yeah, go for it. That'll never happen. (laughs) It'll always dwarf in comparison to what we're actually spending. But uh, if you want to know what's up on the agenda coming down the pike, you can't believe some of the things that Lindsey Graham is now uh, asking for as far as being appropriated weapons-wise. They're going to start making people uh, pay their uh, homeowners association for a house house that's on the other side of town now. Other (laughs) other side of the world, you mean? Yeah. Um, any hope or any thoughts that there are any diplomatic efforts in the offing? Because um, the Council on Foreign Relations writes this. The Ukrainian public overwhelmingly supports reclaiming every inch of Ukrainian territory, including Crimea. Impossible. Putin insists that any peace talks recognize Russia's claim to Crimea and the Ukrainian <laughs> oblasts of Donetsk, Kherson, Luhansk, and Zaporizhia. So 
The Ukrainians, rightfully, they want their land back. Putin doesn't want to give them any of it. He seems willing to yeah. expend lives endlessly on both sides of this thing. How does it end? Yeah. It doesn't. Well, here's how it ends. Uh, uh, We're you, I want to end the war in Ukraine forever. by defeating Putin. The counteroffensive is afoot right now. Uh, in the last 400 and something days, the Ukrainians have defied every expectation. They weakened foot. and bloodied the Russian army inside of Ukraine. I expect major gains in the coming days and weeks. The Ukrainians uh, have had a weapon called the Storm Shadow provided by the British that's wreaking havoc on the Russians. They need longer, longer range rockets called ATACMs and they need mm. cluster munitions uh, to defeat the Russians. Well, let me ask you about this quickly because Republicans Democrats on the Hill have openly expressed concerns about our inability to help other places that need us. Taiwan, we've got billions in back-ordered yeah, weaponry yeah. and those kinds of things. Um, Defense News says this, Ukraine's consumption of U.S.-supplied materiel is outstripping the capacity of American defense term firms to quickly replenish it. Center for Strategic and International Studies report last month found that the U.S. defense industrial base is unprepared for a notional battle with China over Taiwan. How do we manage that? Yeah. Well, number one, you don't pass a defense budget below inflation. We are overmatched. We do need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <sighs> so they said the storm shadow came from who? The British? Yes. You want to fact check them right now? <laughs> no, that's right. <clears throat> so the storm shadow is a British slash French okay. low observable long range air launch cruise missile developed since 1994 uh, by Matra in British Aerospace. Now it's manufactured by MBDA, whoever that is. Uh, Storm Shadow is a weapons British name. In France, it's called the Scalp EG, which stands for some shit in French. <laughs> uh, uh, missile weighs about 1,300 kilograms, 2,900 pounds, with a conventional warhead of 450 kilograms, 990 pounds. Propelled at Mach 8 by a microturbo TRI-6030 turbojet engine has a range of approximately 560 kilometers which mm. is 300 nautical miles sounds like into russian territory yeah like like the drones have been going back and forth i mean it's it's basically just a cruise missile yeah it's mm -hmm. a, mm. well that's where the tax dollars are going i mean it looks cool how, how expensive are they cluster bombs and f-16s not only that but <laughs> the russian well the kremlin issued an arrest warrant for lindsey graham after his <laughs> Did they? Really? Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all a big joke, but a lot of the world. So we, we've talked about it a little bit on the show recently. Uh, you know, the the African nations who are essentially backed and bankrolled by the CCP, mm -hmm. um, they want to take the head on eventual face to face negotiations between Ukraine and Russia. It's not going to be the United States. Obviously, we've we've instigated one side and it's not going to be China because they've instigated the other. Uh, we're we're going to need some kind of a third party to come in and, and, you know, figure out what exactly the final end game for this is. So I saw the, the I believe he's the South African, he, he's the top leader of South Africa, right? And he's the Secretary General of the African League of Nations. He sat down with the BBC yesterday and they were going to talk about some unrelated topics, but they kind of got sidetracked a little bit on this issue. And you want to talk about where our tax dollars are, are going and where where they've been spent over the last two decades did you guys hear this yet mm -mm. this guy took this bbc reporter for an absolute fucking ride and i thought it was glorious let's hear it there is a, a treaty member of the international criminal court if putin comes here in august as planned your government will be obliged 
to arrest him. As head of the ANC, do you believe your government should and indeed will arrest if Vladimir Putin? If it was Putin? according to the ANC, we will want President Putin to be here even tomorrow. You would? To come to, come, to, come to our country. But, you uh, would welcome Vladimir Putin here right course, now. Of course, we you? will welcome A man who is being investigated for war crimes by the International Criminal Court. We will welcome him to come here as part and parcel of BRICS, but we know that we are constrained by the ICC in terms of uh, doing that. Putin is a head of state. Do you think that uh, a head of state can just be arrested anywhere? How many crimes have your country committed in Iraq? Oof. How many mm. crimes? Have everyone else who's so vocal today committed in Iraq and Afghanistan? Have you arrested them? You, you, have know, you know the impact that You're this stand of yours... You're making a lot of noise about putting in state of working for peace between Ukraine and Russia, and you failed to resolve the war. Where are the weapons of mass destruction? Tony Blair went to Iraq and claimed that there are weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> Did you see anybody standing against that in the United Kingdom and Britain? More than uh, millions of people have died in Iraq and yeah. Afghanistan, and there are no weapons of mass destruction. We know what the war is about Mr. Secretary General. between Russia and Ukraine. We want peace. That's mm -hmm. what is important, yeah. so that the world can thrive. And organs and institutions of the world that institute world peace must not be conspicuous by their silence in deciding decisively. We, we, we don't have much time left. I, just want, I want to bring it back to mm, yeah, domestic. Of course you <laughs> wow, that BBC wow. reporter just got taken for a ride on the BBC. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he almost asked, he's, he stopped short of just saying, where's the yellow cake? Yeah. Where's the yellow cake? Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen. No, he's not wrong. No, he's mm. not. I like where his head's at. Same. And even though that peace deal is eventually going to be brokered by the CCP, unfortunately, I think the faster we could get hostilities. Well, back to that last clip. Mm -hmm. They're basically saying that they're going to have to retake all the lost ground. Never got some of that ground doesn't want to be retaken. No, like why don't you? It's basically like uh, you know how like Texas is going to annex itself from the United States. It's like that's what these fucking places are doing. They don't want to be part. They speak Russian. They don't speak Ukrainian. They want to be Russian. And there's generations of, of Russians that were, you know, under the Soviet Union that lived there and yeah. way before that. Yeah, it's like uh, Canadians living in Montana. Yes. It's like, ah, I'm, I'm still Canadian. They're flip-top heads and stuff. <laughs> Hi, buddy. Yeah. We've touched on Afghanistan a couple of times. Kind of weird. I don't know if you guys have saw. There's There's been a border dispute. Not in Eastern Europe, but in Western Iran, where... The Taliban is now using... Is that by the beach? The military might <laughs> of the U.S. government and all the shit we left over there, the $87 billion in military equipment. What are they using it for? Well, they're, they're pseudo-invading Iran. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I, I did catch... It's not really in the news cycle yet, but, but this is going to be something I think we're going to be able to touch on with Colonel McGregor as well, since he's kind of an expert on, on these things, and he'll be joining the show later this week. But uh, let's kind of introduce our, our listenership to something that not a lot of people were talking about, but I, I feel is going to be kind of a hot topic moving forward. Iran and Afghanistan after a shooting incident broke out at the border of the two countries. The firing has resulted in the death of three people, injuring several others. The clash broke out on Saturday near Afghanistan's Nimroz province, which shares borders with Iran. One of those killed were two Iranian border guards and one Taliban fighter. 
It is as of now unclear what provoked the incident. The incident has led to the Iranian authorities closing the Milag Zaranj border post, which is a commercial crossing between the nations. The two nations have been sparring over water rights of late. According to the reports, Iran has accused Afghanistan's Taliban of violating the Treaty of 1973 by restricting the flow of water to Iran's dry and desiccated eastern regions. The issue became contentious uh, when the Taliban began the construction of a dam on the Hamland River. The water body on which the dam is being constructed flows from the central Afghan province, Helmand, for more than 1,000 kilometers into Lake Hamon, which straddles the Afghanistan-Iran border. While the construction of the dam may be a long overdue development for the battered nation, the project has raised accusations from the Iranian camp, which blame Taliban for flouting the treaty obligations. The hmm. So the Taliban are building a dam to restrict water from going into a part of Iran that needs it, and it got hot over the weekend. But you saw the defense minister for the Taliban. How long did that dam get sabotaged? <laughs> right. he, he said if they get the green light and they've moved tanks, armored personnel, and helicopters to the border with Iran, they said they will roll that shit all the way to Tehran. Oh, wow. And, mm -hmm. yeah. Listen, there were so many memes going around by the people who were actually in the know of this. I saw everything from, like, real good Grim Reaper ones all the way to <laughs> Star Wars Emperor Pabaltine cackling, saying, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> laughing at his grave at <laughs> Afghanistan and Iran, <laughs> fighting each other with U.S. military equipment. And uh, what, what can you say for, for our failed foreign policy <laughs> is on display for all. You, you, have, you have the Secretary General of the African Nations dunking on the BBC for the uh, Iraq invasion. You have obviously what's going on between Russia and Ukraine right now. And now you have the Taliban and, and Iran essentially fighting each other, uh, some of which is with military equipment that was left there by the United States. Do people not see that the only time that in the last, what, decade that our country has been even remotely sane is during the Trump presidency? Right. Like, that's the only time that ha there hasn't been some shady. I mean, there's probably some shady bullshit going still, but like drastically shady bullshit going on. And it's just like Trump would always say, it's like anytime stuff like this would pop off anywhere in the world, you'd be like, man, I, I remember like uh, the Iranian general. What was his name? I can't. Uh, Soleimani. Like every. Soleimani. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. He, he liked to run his mouth a lot, too. And yeah. Yeah. He'd like to start problems <laughs> in Africa. I wonder how that worked out for him. And it seemed like the stuff just kind of went away. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting to see. Yeah, drone strike that didn't kill a bunch of little kids. Mm. You remember how they went crazy? The media went crazy calling Trump like whatever they called him. Yeah, meanwhile Obama was droning like fucking poor it's, farmers and shit. The yeah. Syrian children meme that's yeah. like, oh no, not again. <laughs> oh gosh. And that's another thing, you know, Syria being allowed back into the uh, the League of Arab Nations and and what that means. Uh, I mean, we've been fighting supposedly the war on. Uh, dictatorships and, and oppression over in Syria for the last decade. Meanwhile, we're stealing all the, the oil out of there for the fields we're maintaining. And we, we just have to take into consideration we, we need a top-to-bottom redo of our American foreign policy. And, and one other thing, the CCP, the highest general there who's, who's basically on the other end of the bat phone with Secretary Vader, Lloyd Austin. Ugh. Announced this week through a press release that he won't be taking any of his calls in the near future. No. So that's perfect. Yeah. Um, on getting anything done. But, uh, you know, that that's kind of where 
while we remember those who gave their lives and sacrificed for you know, democracy to thrive in our republic to be what it is here in the United States. You have to look at the greedy, slimy people up on Capitol Hill right now that are basically greasing the gears. And of they like, don't care. They, they don't, don't care if more military personnel get killed. It's not. They, these people are fucking pawns on a chessboard to these guys. Lindsey Graham mm-hmm. snorted when he laughed when he said, best money I ever spent. Oh, God. It's just like, come on, man. Is it really? And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll continue to track on that. We'll probably touch on it a little bit with our next guest. We're going to jump in here with uh, Ambassador Carla Sands in just a moment. But before we do that, we're going to hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family, has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the longstanding MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, my slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, she's the former ambassador to the Kingdom of Denmark. She currently sits as the vice chair of the Center for Energy and Environment at the America First Policy Institute. We're really happy to have back Ambassador Carla Sands. Ambassador, how are you doing? I'm great. It's great to talk to you guys. I'm really, really happy to reconnect with you and with your listeners. We definitely feel the same. So we're coming out of a what usually is a kind of a non-work weekend up on Capitol Hill and, and out of Memorial Day and into uh, the mess that's going on right now with the debt ceiling negotiations. It seems like we may have reached a soft deal, but the more I tune into the news, I see more Congress people on the uh, Republican side saying they're hard no. I know you saw a lot of the stuff that happened up on Capitol Hill regarding negotiations like this during your time as ambassador and in all the other contexts you've worked in Washington, D.C. What can you tell our listenership is the latest uh, from your vantage point regarding this item? Well, you know, first of all, just to set the table, my experience, I had a CODEL come to my embassy residence and um, I had the the appropriations basically had and other people from appropriations committee uh, come and visit me when I was ambassador. So I was talking to them and I was like, I was wanting um, assets to help me in my mission. And my team goes, you can't ask them that you can't. So I had to go to, to the uh, Congress and get appropriations passed. So we did it the you know mainstream way, not me pulling them aside and saying, can we get some funding for this. That's not how it works, I learned. But then also I went and met with the Senate Armed Services Committee to get um, some military assets that we needed sort of sorted out uh, in my region, my area of responsibility, which was Denmark, Greenland, and the Faroe Islands. So it included something called the GIUK gap, a huge ocean. But what we're really here to talk about is this budget fight. And when Speaker McCarthy took the gavel, he told us that $80 billion that the reckless former Congress had passed, that was going to go away that they had passed for the IRS with, I think it was for about 81,000 new IRS agents. And it had been identified what this $80 billion was for. It was outrageous spending, along with the so-called Inflation Reduction Act and so many multi-trillion dollar packages that the reckless former Congress passed. He told us it was going to go away. He was supposed to fight for these things. And when he made his platform 
and he began to negotiate um, with the other side, you would think a good negotiator would get about 50% of what they want. You meet somewhere in the middle, right? I mean, a little more, a little less, but somewhere in the middle. Instead, it looks like he got about 10% overall what they were looking for. All that Green New Deal spending is still in there. And that creates a kind of Frankenstein energy economy in America rather than a free market energy economy. It's not private uh, businesses building a gas station because there's a need for it. It's government paying the car manufacturers to make EVs, even if people don't want them. It's the government paying to put charging stations in, even though they're not needed. Otherwise, they'd already be there. So we are a free market economy in America. And what the Biden administration and the former Congress did is they changed our free market economy into a top-down plan economy in energy, more or less. There are a lot of uh, things that Kevin McCarthy seems to have bent the knee on this. Uh, mm-hmm. Just when you look at the spending overall, you mentioned a lot of it in, in green energy policies and just wasteful spending in general. Uh, yeah. That's not cut. You're talking Republicans are trying to stump on it could save up to $2.1 trillion over the course of 10 years, but that doesn't do anything for the next at least two full fiscal years after this one. In addition, it could you mentioned the the Frankenstein like policies in regards to energy. It could allow mm-hmm. from you know up to four point five trillion dollars in more wasteful spending added directly to the you know budget deficit, which just seems to me like that is not the promise to the American people that Kevin McCarthy uh, made when he was stumping around for the Speaker of the House gavel. Yeah, and and just to add to that, another thing that this budget does is it resets our whole government spending to pretend like COVID is still here because they didn't go back to 2019 spending pre-COVID and then add in whatever we needed for, for, you know, to make up for inflation, to keep things moving and maybe do some things that they needed to do, like the permitting reform, which isn't even guaranteed in here. It's like they're going to try. Well, let me tell you something. If you get leftist bureaucrats saying they're going to try, guess what? They're going to try to stop it, not to do it. And we need permitting reform so that projects can get built in America and we can renew, rejuvenate every kind of industry in the United States. That's what that was. It wasn't just energy. But um, to reset our economy post-COVID at COVID spending levels, means all these trillions of dollars are still washing around in the system. And we want a lean federal government and then private business to to be the business of America, not the federal government crowding out private enterprise in America. And that's what this really does. And it has a lot of controls on people. I mean, we're winning here and there with the Supreme Court stopping just last week uh, the overreach in the waters where if somebody had a puddle on their land, they might not be able to build a house. It was tormenting farmers. There's other ways we're winning at the Supreme Court. But to have a conservative Congress, a Republican Congress, make this, these kinds of concessions, when this was our moment to stop some of these programs from being implemented and really getting deep roots, right, where it's hard to pull it out. Um, I think that we needed some hard-nosed businessmen at the table, not politician types, that could have actually gotten um, a better deal for the American, for all the American people. Yeah, that's it right there. I mean, I see a lot of Republicans who have already settled on accepting this offer is trying to 
kind of make it look prettier and say, oh, yeah, but now we're going to head into appropriations and that's where we're really going to take stuff out of it. Well, if this is where you got with with the overall debt ceiling negotiations, I, I don't feel as comfortable going into uh, appropriations now for the for the twelve bills that are going to supposedly come down the pike and, and the big wins that you're prophesizing. If this is where we get to on the debt ceiling, so it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out before Wednesday and and who's going to be on board or not. I mean, there's going to be more of a obviously Democrat president in the vote on on the House floor uh, when this comes up for a full vote. So. It's going to be a lot harder for some of those Republicans to kind of hold it up as they did in uh, bills passed or, or how they got this debt ceiling solution, uh, the one that was the past that, that they're not going with passed first. Uh, Ambassador, I do want to segue a little bit because the conflict in Ukraine has uh, kind of shifted gears and, and, and is starting to cycle its way back into the media here, uh, you know, in the United States. We've seen a lot of stuff going on. Lindsey Graham was over there last week and... Uh, you know, one of the things that, that him and, and some of the people in the Senate, obviously Democrats in the House, are complaining about that there's not, you know, enough spending for our military in, in what Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy are agreeing on. But there's definitely not enough money, of course, because it's never going to be enough money for Ukraine. Um, based off of what we've already spent and, and what the potential is for, for now moving forward in this conflict where it seems like Ukraine had, had recently taken a pretty bad loss in, in Bakhmut and uh, their counteroffensive is going to be just making up ground, not really pushing Russia any further back than they currently sit. What do you see is the, is the Republicans' move as we're heading into a very you know important presidential election cycle and how this is probably going to be one of the top issues uh, during the campaign? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that Republicans actually, we need to have this debate now early and get this settled. I, I personally believe that this is a European issue and Europe is not paying for this war, which they enabled bringing all that Russian gas in, uh, even though they were warned. I mean, I personally warned them. My team and I blocked the Russian gas pipeline, Nord Stream 2. The only place it wasn't completed was my area of responsibility. I worked with the White House with my team to get that done. So we know what happened under Joe Biden's leadership. But if you go back a little bit, I can remember John McCain and Lindsey Graham actually saying to those uh, military leaders in Ukraine years ago, that they wanted this war. This is, I think, another forever war. And they wanted this conflict with Russia. That's not how things should be handled. And Ukrainians and Russians are dying. And our tax dollars are being shoveled into one of the most corrupt countries in the world, while we have veterans sleeping on the streets in our country while our border is wide open, we're securing Ukraine's border. This is upside down policy. We have to have good, solid Republican leadership to write this. I believe it's Europe's war. They enabled this. They and, and And one of the problems also is that the Biden family corruption, how we can see now we have the bank records, we've got the laptop. We understand that the Biden family is corrupt in Ukraine. Yeah, They've been corrupted with Russia, with China. Now it came out Romania a little over a week ago. Uh, they're on the take elsewhere. So th- what this means is that we don't have an honest broker in the White House. And um, I can't imagine that this Congress can get away with not impeaching him because of that. I mean, we need actually, uh, I'll take another leader that's not corrupt in these areas because literally corrupt in the theaters that we're we're trying to support in the war and then against us in the war. And did you see, um, I think it was last night, 
um, Ukraine dropped some drones into um, was it Moscow, I believe, and yeah. and, uh, and did some damage with drones and explosions in buildings. So now we're getting incursions into Russia. Well, look, Russia attacked. So I get it. But at the same time, with China involved with Russia, this this could become much bigger. We need to be focusing on China. The, 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 the Chinese Communist Party is our greatest adversary. Russia teaming up with them is a dangerous situation because that's powerful. You've got the energy, you've got the arms, you have the the will because the 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 chairman Xi has said they're going to take Taiwan and chairman Xi has said we're going to defeat our adversaries and if you read a book like um Sun Tzu's The Art of War you can see they're going to try to succeed without conflict without open conflict a hot war so they have they're fighting us on every single uh every single way and means that at their hands but they are also open to to conflict but they'd prefer not to so if you're if your um listeners want to follow me on social media, I'm on Twitter at Carla H. Sands and on um Facebook and I have a website that, you know, I, I don't tend to hold up, but you can see my latest stuff there quite often. So I mean, I'm deeply, deeply committed that our country does not become uh subservient to a global hegemonic Chinese Communist Party. And that is something I, I work against every single day. But American businesses and, and citizens have to really wake up to this threat is, is my thought. No, it's it's exactly the point. I mean, you've seen things with uh, we saw the drones in Moscow yesterday. Now, uh, Ukrainian potential fighter jet pilot pilots are being trained outside of country to use the F-16s that they're yeah. soon going to have in their possession and uh, the one thing we're not talking about is getting to the negotiation table. You know, China's playing both sides here, arming mm -hmm. Russia and telling Ukraine, oh, yeah, once everything's done, don't worry, we will rebuild it all. It'll look great. And, uh, you know, we've got the rise of BRICS in the background, which can inflate up to maybe 30 countries by the end of next year. Very alarming. A lot of our, you know, geopolitical non-friends uh, getting in an energy and, and, and currency-backed uh, alliance together, which is only going to eventually hurt the American economy down the road and uh, mm -hmm. no, nobody getting to the negotiation table. So it's definitely something we're keeping right. an eye on. And uh, last thing I want to touch with you on before we cut ambassador was it kind of puts everything into perspective here. As you look at the 2024 presidential race kind of taking shape, what is uh, you, you, what are you seeing on your end right now, as far as uh, you know, potential solutions to a lot of these problems? Um, well, first I just want to echo what you just said about Ukraine. We have to negotiate a peaceful settlement and we we need an honest broker to do that. And we need to bring both sides together. I agree with pre what President Trump said that we need to do that. And I've been saying that for well, since it began, because this isn't good for anyone. Uh, but when I look at the field, President Trump is the strongest candidate in the field. He was actually the greatest president in my lifetime, even if he is a disruptive president. Um, he achieved things for the American people, for our economy, our security that no other president has before. And so, um, and he's so far ahead that I said to the, the supporters of, uh, Ron DeSantis or now Ron DeSantis, um, <laughs> look, he's young. They're a beautiful young family with young kids. It's like Camelot. Tell him to keep his powder dry and wait because he, he should not go up against 
it, the wood chipper, you know, the meat grinder that is Trump, because every candidate that's come up against Trump, in my experience, comes out a diminished person. And if you look at the people, whether it's Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, uh, Scott Walker, these are good men, but none of them have the same capabilities after Trump dealt with them. He just has a unique ability to to sort of dispatch uh, opponents. And so I hate to see DeSantis come through this and come out a lesser man, because I do think he's an important leader for the conservative movement. Um, I'd love to see um, President Trump go up against whoever the 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 um, the Democrat candidate is going to be. It looks like Joe Biden. I, I could really see them sub in somebody else like a Gavin Newsom. Sure. We'll see if he you know, if he holds it together. No, we uh, we agree with you there. Uh, we've actually really thought that Gavin Newsom was going to be the bait and switch here, but there's still a lot of time between now and then. I actually there's a lot of time, but I think the consultants are the ones that are winning on the Ron DeSantis ticket. Oh, yeah. I think they pushed him because they're going to make so many millions of dollars. Uh, that super PAC is what two hundred million, two hundred million already yep. that I know of. And what's their cut? It's going to be more than ten percent. Yeah, no, that's that's it right there. And and I just want to keep reminding our listenership. You know, Cash Patel reminded us just a week ago, Hillary Clinton is still lurking in the background. Mm. We're always egging her on on Twitter to just, come on, get back in the race. Just do it one more time. You know, you can do it. So, and, and she would be an easy one to get in there too. Ambassador, we're going to link your website, obviously. And uh, you want to let our listenership know where they could follow you on Twitter one more time today. And we'll link that in the sure. show description. Um, great to talk to you guys. I'm at Carla H. Sands on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, Carla Sands. I've got a website, carlasands.com. I'm on Facebook, Carla Sands. And I'd love to connect with you and and keep fighting the good fight and call your congressman and tell them, do not fold under this leftist pressure. We need to fix the economy and we need to get our country back on track. We certainly do. And uh, we'll be calling you hopefully next month to get you back on the show. This is the retired ambassador to the Kingdom of Denmark. She now sits as the vice chair at the Center for Energy and the Environment at the America First Policy Institute. Ambassador Carlos Sanz, thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks, guys. And look, I think it is always on any of us at any level, county commission all the way up to president, you have to earn that vote. You have to earn the confidence and trust of the American people. And the best way to do it is to lay out policies that will move their lives forward in a positive way and defend this great nation. And I think President Trump's best argument is before, uh, before COVID and these disastrous lockdowns, was your life better yeah. off? And across yeah. every demographic, black, white, or brown, you name it, uh, everyone was, uh, everyone had more money in their pockets, their cities and the country were safer, the world was more stable, uh, and let's get us, get us back to that. I think that's the president's winning argument. All right, let's play a little GOP primary roundup. That was Representative Mike Waltz checking in with the gang over at Fox Business talking about how Donald Trump's got a definite selling argument that's on the winning side, and he needs to stick to that moving forward. That's something we provide on the show a lot. And uh, we're going to check in the other candidates. So pretty quiet over the weekend, to be honest with you. We're going to talk about some poll numbers in just a minute that are really eyebrow-raising for all those in America First and the non-bump that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis got when he announced. I won't say launch because <laughs> we all know how that went down. <laughs> Last week, I did see uh, Vivek Ramaswamy jumped on <laughs> with uh, 
never get shit done, former congressman Jason Chaffetz over the weekend to talk about some of the things regarding Joe Biden and his lack of, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen it on the show. Our listenership's definitely in tune. He hasn't really done much campaigning since he made his uh, big promise to America to finish the job of tanking the country. Mm. Let's hear. Uh, the job's not finished yet? Yeah, let's hear how the future cabinet member in the next Trump administration kind of looks at it. The two, the, nearly two-thirds of Americans say that it would just be a disaster if he's elected again. I think you and others see the vision of, hey, this is the opportunity, but the Democrats seem to get away with never having to come out of their hiding spot and just a basement strategy. Here we are in debt ceiling negotiations, and the president's not even doing a press conference. It actually makes more sense, Jason, if you see what's going on. Biden's cognitive deficits are not a bug to them. It is a feature to the managerial class that puts him up as their puppet. Is he doing He's more a Trump easily controllable by the people who are pulling the strings, <laughs> the real puppet masters, if he has those cognitive deficits. Their bet is that the country is going to go the same direction as in 2022 when there was a disappointing result for Republicans. But my view is we have an opportunity to win 2024 in a landslide election. I think this election, I'm making this less even about Republicans and Democrats, but whether you are pro-American, do you believe in the principles of this country and will you fight for them? Or are you fundamentally anti-American? Kamala Harris and Joe Biden fit that description, apologizing for our nation founded on those ideals. If we do that, I think we can deliver a landslide election like what Reagan delivered in 1980. That's what I'm running to deliver in 2024. He is literally a lot more than twice my age. I'm 37 years old, the first millennial ever to run for president as a Republican. And I'm confident that if I get the nomination, I'll defeat Joe Biden in a landslide and have a lot of fun with him on the debate stage. Mm. <laughs> Good thing we'll never uh, get to experience the reality that is that wet dream. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's the gag gift of the 2024 presidential election cycle. I, I see Donald Trump like setting him up with a nice little compliment on the debate stage before absolutely posterizing him. <laughs> it just not being able to handle, uh, you know, the ins and outs of running the highest office in the world. And I think that, you know, we alluded to that a little bit with ambassador Carlos Sands. We're going to switch gears at the end of this segment and close out the show talking about something, uh, well, I'll, I'll tease it up this way. The Raw Egg Nationalist is going to be here. And if you think that CCP-influenced bioweapons surrounding primate mating isn't going on in the United States, think again. You're going to want to listen to our next uh, interview at the end of this segment right here. So we can all agree that Ron DeSantis... <laughs> DeSantis? Ron DeSantis... DeSantis. I have a new one, DeSantis. Oh, nice. I like that. He, he does kind of have some, I mean, he's reaping the effects of the Ozempic right now, but he's losing weight too fast, so we kind of got the saggy, saggy bottom, the saggy bottom boys. Oh, <laughs> you went there. Sorry. That's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's a good movie. But yeah, I mean, his announcement was a complete failure. He's going to try and save face. They're heading to Iowa, I believe, this weekend, and... Whatever happens regarding this, it's for one thing and one thing only. It's money. Uh, it, it's the only – listen, it's not for clout. It's not for a future book deal in regards to Ron DeSantis. He just finished – That's DeSantis to you. A book tour. <laughs> and they want to get paid. And all of those consultants 
and future lobbyists that are going to be around him are going to, uh, you know, reap the rewards of what running in a major presidential race is. I, I have seen a really good angle that the rest of the field is kind of using. You guys can agree or disagree with me on it, um, but but hear me out. So Ron DeSantis took on Disney, right? Because he, he, mm-hmm. Florida is where all things woke go to die, apparently. Mm. It's more like where all things woke get kind of gummed up in court and we haven't got disposition on a lot of things yet. But here's the thing. The then CEO and now CEO Bob Iger spoke out against Ron DeSantis's non-inclusive policies in the state of Florida, which we all appreciate. You know, nobody wants books of two 10-year-old boys blowing each other available in the library for kids in elementary school to read. Uh, I sure as hell don't. No. Right? But at the same time, Disney had had a long-standing state legislative back sweetheart deals with the Magic Kingdom in the state of Florida. They have their own government. Did. It's like their own state. Correct. They have their own police. Yes. That's weird. But we also have to look, remember. They have their own pedophiles. So does everybody else in the mainstream, apparently. But here's the thing. When Disney World first opened, it was in an extremely remote part of Orlando where there wasn't a lot of development yet, right? Mm-hmm. Over the course of the last several decades, it's exploded in regards to people living there now. By having the Magic Kingdom there, you've been able to get water and energy and all the other things that go along with building around something like Disney into the state. So it's kind of been like a one hand washes the other. We let you run your little cliche as a town magic kingdom inside of Florida. And you've brought expansion to the state in, in other ways. Ron DeSantis didn't like the way that was going down and, and some of the tax breaks or, you know, just ways that Disney wasn't paying their fair share, but he attacked them two pronged. He said he was going after them because they're so woke and now they're incorporating all of these degenerate things into, you know, the way they express themselves as a child theme park, which is correct. But then went after them in the business sense as well. You, you kind of had to pick a battle here because you're at the end of two dispositions that lead to like a gray area of like you haven't gotten the job done. I wish he would have just went after the state back stuffed and kept all the woke stuff out of it. Because once you won all of the state legislative battles, you could have said like, listen, if this is the way Disney wants to operate in the state of Florida, then this is the way they're going to be treated. But because he wanted to do both at the same time, he's kind of gummed up the gears and allowed for the rest of the Republican field. We've all heard them weigh in. Vivek, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, and then the unannounced Mike Pence's and Chris Christie's all say, this is bad for business. Because when you use a policy is like going against woke to punish businesses, or when you use the policies of, like, going for woke, if it was a different party sitting in the governor's mansion in Florida, it kind of makes other prospective businesses who are looking to get into the state and open up wary of going there. So he's kind of backed himself into a corner of, like, if he just would have went against Disney in the business sense, it would have been a resounding win. And it would have piggybacked off of one of the things that Ron DeSantis, it may have been the only thing that Ron DeSantis could have brought to the table in the 2024 election cycle that he could go to toe to toe with Donald Trump on. And that's the economy, because we all remember during the pandemic. Yeah, they were pretty good to go. The global supply chain was all fucked up and Ron DeSantis was doing everything he could to keep Florida cranking out. Yeah, they were having ships get rerouted over to Florida. 
And now look what he's done. You have all of these candidates already now shitting on him for stymieing potential businesses from flourishing in Florida just based off of the fact that they might be politically persecuted. And that win that he would have been able to use against Donald Trump and the rest of the field, but we have a great economy in Florida, and these are my receipts. Now it's, we had a great economy in Florida, but now I fucked it up because I went after Disney. Mm. It's not Mm. an angle that a lot of people are talking about, but it's one of the things. Here's the thing. If Ron DeSantis wants to anoint himself as number two in the Republican race, regardless of what the polls say, the only way to drag him back to the field is delegitimize what he's already done. This is a really good example of it, and I think that's why— And he's delegitimizing himself. True, at the same time. I think it's a good angle that a lot of the Republican primary candidates are using against him. I mean, Donald Trump's hitting him from the top down, and they're all trying to pull him back to their you know, blob of anywhere between zero and 10%-ish. What do you guys think? Yeah, he's— He's doing nothing but self-sabotage by just doing this in general. Because he would have been off the radar if he would have just continued to be Florida's awesome governor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't think if he he just kept it monetarily, if he just kept it at the fact that it's weird that, like, the Magic Kingdom is literally a kingdom in the state of Florida that has, like, their own police and fire and their own little, like, government and laws. And and, and they get all these sweetheart tax deals that are longstanding in the state of Florida that, you know, he would have said, we got to catch up with the time. Disney has to pay their fair share. They're a a multi, multi multi-billion dollar international corporate industry. And they have to like, you know, if they're going to be the biggest bearer of jobs in Florida, then they have to pay and pay taxes like the biggest bearer of jobs in Florida. Hashtag tax the rich. Exactly. I totally agree. You think this dings him going forward? He's not going to be able to walk out with his best economy in the history of economy badges for for the state of florida after this debacle with disney because they're all going to hit him on this yeah no i totally agree and then with everything else that he's been doing for sure it's not looking good for him well i don't know if you guys heard it's political suicide for him it's it's i've said that from the very beginning it's political suicide he Mm -hmm. he either makes it or he's ruined himself forever and the chances of him making it are probably pretty slim unless they actually arrest trump absolutely what'd you say Antoinette? It's almost like I feel like he's being forced, you know, like he's got no choice. He's like got a gun he to his head. He looks like he's under ho- like hostage situation. And you guys yeah. have seen the shit that have all has gone down over the weekend over Twitter, right? Like it's been pretty fucking crazy. I don't know if you guys know this, but Steak for Reckless Enjoy, a reoccurring contributor on this show, former Babylon Bee employee, now National Pulse employee, Gavin Wax was fired on Twitter over the weekend by Seth Dillon for dunking on Jenna Ellis with the whole gang that usually dunks on Jenna Ellis, who's, you know, one of the biggest hypocritical MAGA walkaways out there. Remember, this is the same Jenna Ellis that -hmm. went on our great friend Josh Hammer show last week and told his listenership (laughs) that she felt it was her constitutional duty based off the behaviors of Donald Trump to no longer support him and vote with him. Oh, come on. She said her her stake as a U.S. citizen was at risk if she did not not back Donald Trump anymore. Oh, come on, please. I, I, I was floored when I heard it. And I usually listen. We love Josh Hammer on the show. We know he leans DeSantis. 
and we don't hold that against anybody. It doesn't matter who you back, what horse you've got in this race. Come on the show. We'll talk about it. We've never had anything but a spirited and, and lively conversation whenever Josh comes on the show. I got a lot of respect for him and the work he does. Yeah, it doesn't matter who you back as long as you can listen to reason and you're not just right. stuck in a box. Like, this is my guy no matter what. It's like, well, he just said he wanted to murder a bunch of people. It's like, well, that's fine. <laughs> Jen Ellis is out there today on social media uh, saying that she's no longer friends with Raheem Kassam. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> They had an like, internet breakup? Like he gives a shit. <laughs> exactly. Like anything anybody says is ever. Listen, Raheem Kassam literally texted me yesterday that I was a fucking moron. That is the, <laughs> that is the, that is the text message. And, and if you don't. What under, was that? What was that over? It's neither yeah. here nor there. It had nothing to do. It might've been, it, I didn't answer a tweet right enough or, <laughs> or, or have the funniest so response. Funny. But here's the thing. If you know the guy, if you know what he's done and where he's been, the guy's been on Brexit with Bannon in and out of the White House. Like, you think saying, it's essentially mean tweeting. Raheem Kassam does mean tweets. He doesn't give a shit. He's going to call people cunts regardless. He's in the business of mean tweets. Yes. Yeah. And the MAGA hat stays on. Facts. And, 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 and we're moving along right here. You want to talk about political suicide. I saw House Republican Greg Stubbe. He jumped on the Triggered podcast with Don Jr. today, and he mm. was talking about some of the backdoor dealings that Ron DeSantis was doing or trying to do, definitely failed at, prior to him announcing for president. Let's hear this clip. I think you guys are going to be a little uh, surprised about this one. Leaders shouldn't operate that way. You need a team of strong people beside you and alongside of you to accomplish whatever goals it is that you've set out on, on the principles that you have. And that's just not what you see in Governor DeSantis. The decision was easy for me. And what was interesting was the timing. All of a sudden, there was this endorsement for Trump and this endorsement for Trump and another congressman for Trump. And suddenly the DeSantis team started going in panic mode and started contacting members like myself. And I've never heard from any of these people. Like I had never heard from his, his campaign guy. And suddenly after five years of being in Congress and him being governor, suddenly you're getting this phone call from a guy and it's like, oh, now after five years, you suddenly care about talking to me about anything. And uh, it, it was easy, but what precipitated that was the DeSantis team start pressuring people. Oh, you know, don't don't go with Trump, don't endorse Trump when there's no relationship there. And then threatening members of Congress, not me, but there's other members of Congress that were threatened that if they endorse Trump, that DeSantis was going to primary them. That is not how <laughs> leaders operate. You don't operate by fear. And I say, bring it on. Can you fucking believe that? Mm. If you endorse Trump, and I guarantee I know who he's talking about. He's talking a lot of the, of the freshmen, probably the Anna Paulina Lunas, who, listen, I wouldn't fuck with. If I saw her in broad daylight on the street or walking down a, a back alley, they're going to have a House vote this week to censor uh, Adam Schiff, who was one of the biggest speaker boxes of the Russiagate bullshit. And not only are they going to vote to censure him, but they're also going to fine him up to $16 million for the bullshit that he was spouting over the course of Crossfire Hurricane and the Mueller investigation. But getting back to Congressman Stubbe there, he now confirms that the DeSantis team, not even absolutely, Ron DeSantis, uh, <laughs> Ron DeSantis didn't even have the balls or the professionalism to go around and call these people and ask them for her you know, his endorsement, probably because he didn't want to hear why they weren't going to endorse him. But he was having junior staffers call people and say, if you don't endorse Ron DeSantis, we are going to find somebody in your district to fucking primary you. Oh, no. Embarrassing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and now you have over half of the delegation of the Republican House members in Florida already endorsing Trump. We got to talk about poll numbers. Mm. I, I don't really love them, but it, it, it is something pertinent to the show because when we had Mark Mitchell, the head pollster for Massachusetts polling on here uh, not too long ago, what did he say? He said that these poll numbers uh, for Ron DeSantis are not going to reflect a huge bump once he gets in the race. And I saw yesterday this poll came out. It's a 2024 GOP primary head-to-head polling Trends by YouGov.org. Okay? Let's go through it. December 17th, DeSantis 48%, Trump 40%. February 22nd, Trump 47%, DeSantis 36%, an 11% swing. April, Trump 53%, DeSantis 31%, now a 22% swing. May 23rd, that puts us post Ron DeSantis' announcement, Trump 60%, DeSantis 28%, a 32-point swing. But here's the thing. They provided receipts and went across all the crosstabs and demographics that we like to highlight on the show. And uh, here's some of the big ones that really were were meaningful to me, should be meaningful to America First. 6% of the total people who voted in this poll, it's not a huge number, but it's an important one, are Biden voters in 2020. <laughs> That's a huge crossover. And he holds currently a seven-point lead in independent voting. When you look at the actual crosstabs, Donald Trump now leads Ron DeSantis in every gender, race, age, and income category. Wait, say that again? Every gender, race, age, and income category crosstab. In the GOP field, head-to-head matchup with Ron DeSantis, who was leading 48 to Damn! 40 in December. <laughs> now Donald Trump is at 60%. Ron DeSantis is at 28. <laughs> oh, political suicide. We talk about Ron DeSantis not being able to harness the economy and the jobs. Now we, we, we heard polls last week on the show where it said Donald Trump was really starting to resonate in the Rust Belt again in the Blue Wall states. Donald Trump is reharnessing that magic that propelled him to the White House in 2016, and that's being the jobs president mm-hmm. again. I think when you talk about the totality of everything we discussed on the show today, whether it included our guests or segments, the only win I think America First gets out of losing the debt ceiling battle with Joe Biden is that he does get to continue his reckless spending for the next two years. And what that means for us is there is a light out of the end of the tunnel. The light out of the end of the tunnel is the economy that Donald Trump produced in the first two and a half to three years of his presidency and then right at the back end of it coming out of COVID. Because it's the only way he's going to win in the Rust Belt. Yeah. It's the only path to the White House for Republicans. I did a little bit of more of the math now. Five to six states, 80 counties, less than 70,000 votes determine on whether or not Donald Trump goes back to the White House. Period. We don't do the work in those 80 counties. You might as well pack it in today. Don't let anybody else tell you about suburban moms, independent voters. I like suburban moms. Everybody loves suburban moms. <laughs> I'm <Dem>, one. <laughs> yes, you are. And you're a sparkling example of why we like suburban moms. <laughs> Damn! <laughs> and everything in between. Anyone else, from Charlie Kirk to Scott Pressler, is hyping up things that don't matter. Yep. 80 counties. 70,000 votes, five to six states, determine on whether or not we get over 270, period. And you only hear it here. No one else wants to talk about it. 
You know, I, I, I try unless, to... Unless the census changes with all the illegal aliens. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh, guess what? California's got 75 extra electoral votes now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's track the GOP hopeful. He jumped on Fox News yesterday and was asked about why he wouldn't just wait till 2028. Let's hear him give a good politician non-answer. Governor, you're now in contention, or you're now in the contest to be the presidential candidate for the Republican Party in 2024. Obviously, the front runner is President Donald Trump. When I go out and I talk to Americans, I don't know that you all share all the same policy positions. I don't know that you share the same personality, but you do share a base of Republicans. Most of the people that support you probably voted for President Trump twice. And the, the first comment I hear over and over again is, why doesn't Ron DeSantis wait for President Trump's second term and then run? And what is your best answer? Why is right now the time for Ron DeSantis to run for president? Don't say woke. Mm. Because the, everyone knows if I'm the nominee, I will beat Biden uh, and I will serve two terms and I will be able to uh, destroy leftism in this country mm. and leave woke ideology on the dustbin of history. Uh, at the end of the day, I've shown in Florida an ability to win huge swaths of voters that Republicans swaths? typically can't win while also delivering the boldest agenda anywhere in the country. And uh, I think there's a reason why the legacy media is attacking me uh, more than they're attacking anybody else, because I think they realize that if I'm successful in winning the Republican nomination, uh, we're going to bring it home in the general election. And I've pledged to Republican voters, you know, if you nominate me, uh, I will be taking the oath of office on January 20th, 2025, uh, on the west side of the Capitol. No excuses, uh, no more um, uh, excuses about why we can't get it done. We need to get it done, and I will get it done. You know what the problem with this DeSantis uh -huh. is? Guys, he promises, though. No, but when, it, when he says stuff, I don't believe it. Not because I don't believe it because I don't think he can do it. Is that I don't think he believes it. I don't think so. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. So well put. I got the same vibe, too. I don't He's think like, he uh, this is what they saying. wrote. This is what they wrote for me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it in a lackluster, boring kind of way. Yeah. And that is why we need to win again. Boring. Yeah. He promises, though. I promise. Donald Trump <laughs> just put out one of his... Uh, do, you, do you believe me? I promise. From the office of Making America Great Again. Flashpoint, Mar-a-Lago. President Donald J. Trump will travel to Iowa Wednesday and Thursday of this week to meet with grassroots supporters, local media, Iowa elected officials, and participate in a town hall with Fox News' Boomer Sweats, Sean Hannity. President Trump will attend Westside Conservative Breakfast and host a luncheon with dozens of Iowa faith leaders in Des Moines. He will then visit with hundreds of grassroots leaders and supporters before participating in the Fox News Town Hall with already announced Boomer Sweat Sean Hannity at the Horizon Events Center. Not a reschedule of the rally, but at least he's there. And uh, ahead of Ron DeSantis, who I think is uh, heading up there this weekend, so good news, because it was a quiet weekend for America First uh, out of Mar-a-Lago. I think the best thing we saw was, well, Donald Trump put out uh, a true social post. It's a really long one talking about how, you know, he gave appreciation for Memorial Day, but then talked about, the, you know, destroying the communists and the Marxist pigs. And, you know, I saw a lot of people on social media. Oh, yeah, Donald Trump thanks himself for the job that he did while he was president in in remembrance of Memorial Day within an hour of that post, there was a video 
which highlighted the four years of how he showed appreciation for those who made the ultimate sacrifice to our country. Uh, he put it out on Truth Social, of course, like Dan and um, Jason Miller and, and Liz Harrington and everybody got it out on, on Twitter. It was a good video. You know, it was one of those ones that showed a couple of excerpts of his speaking events and then him laying wreaths. And, you know, he's a really big appreciator of uh, the armed services. And he, and he showed so throughout the course of his presidency. But uh, before we get ready to jump in here with the Raw Egg Nationalists, I do want to remind everybody, wherever you're listening today, across any downloadable podcasting platform, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeart, make sure you subscribe to the show, rate it, and leave a review. Also on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, Follow the show, hit the notification bell. And then, of course, we always are going to be directing everyone now moving forward to our landing page at thenationalpulse.com. That's thenationalpulse.com. Sign up for Pulse Plus. First month is free. After that, uh, you'll be able to get that exclusive content like our Red Meat podcast, which is going to be available every Sunday now. So in our last audio clip of the day, I saw one of our favorite guests and uh, – I think you could pretty much be safe in calling her a firebrand. Liz Harrington. She made the rounds this weekend for America First and uh, definitely had Ron DeSantis in her crosshairs. Um, she talked about all the offices that he's applied for over the course of the last seven years and how this movement isn't any different than the first time he ran for Congress. Let's hear her give a little dig at the Florida governor now announced candidate running for months. He's had this shadow campaign uh, disguised as a book tour funded by Rupert Murdoch. And this guy is just another career politician and the voters are very smart. They see through it. Ron DeSantis has run for four different offices in the last seven years. That's not someone who's looking to help the country. That's someone who's looking to boost his resume and get the next job. So President Trump He's not worried at all. He keeps calling out the truth. He's not attacking him from the left or right. He's attacking him with the honest facts about his record. And President Trump has the record of accomplishment with a historic first term that is unmatched in American history. The American people want him back in the White House. I think that alludes to what Noah was saying. Noah, when Liz Harrington says it, it's a little bit more believable. Yeah, I believe what she's saying because she actually knows it's true. Yeah, She knows it. Antoinette, DeSantis is just reading it. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. Antoinette, do you see Ron DeSantis just uh, hopping over the border and jumping into North Korea and telling <laughs> Kim Jong-un he looks thin? Absolutely not. <laughs> Certainly doesn't. And uh, like I said, when you, when you ding him on the economy for the mess he made with Disney, he doesn't bring a whole lot to the table except retread, regurgitation of of Trump era policies that he's going to make sound better. I did notice that Ron DeSantis is saying I will serve two terms, <laughs> which means that that's what they're going to try and hang on Donald Trump, but he's going to go and probably counter that with I'm bringing the people's mandate to the oval office and I'm getting the fuck out after I finish mm -hmm. the job. And that's pretty much what we get to take away from, uh, you know, the weekend that was in, in the GOP primary race and, and moving forward, obviously we're going to get a lot more receipts, uh, we're going to have, you know, a Trump Town Hall to cover on our Friday edition of the show. Everything going on with the debt ceiling and just about everything in between. We're about to jump in with the Raw Egg Nationalist, but one more time, we're going to hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. 
Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's done it all. He's an author. He is the king of fitness. He's so manly that he's even narrated a Tucker Carlson documentary, and we're really happy to have back <laughs> Ren the Raw Nationalist. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's always a pleasure, and I, I hope to live up to that introduction. Anytime you're on this show, you've already met the bar. Sir, how's everything going with you? Yeah, it's good. Super busy, as always, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. As you usually are. Listen, you're you're always been a, a contributor at the National Pulse. I would consider you a major one now. Uh, me and you were talking the other day about one of these articles that you recently published, and uh, I want our listenership to know, you know, we're always talking about politics, but when we can get into the dark side of what's going on to poison you physically instead of just, like, mentally with, with all the stuff that's going on, we really need to, you know, raise the alarms and bring it to everybody's attention. So this article was called... The curious connection between lab-grown meat, primate breeding, and China's biowarfare program sounds completely fine. Don't worry, guys; everything's fine. Ren, you've got to elaborate on this. Yeah, it's this is a this is a crazy story. I I couldn't believe it when I actually uh, turned this stuff up. So, <laughs> I've been ragging on this guy Josh Tetrick, who is the founder CEO of a company called Just Inc. Eat Just Inc. and uh, they have various different sort of uh, sub companies one of which is just egg which makes plant-based eggs and i you know i rag on him about uh, his plant-based eggs which are made from canola oil and um mung bean slop i mean they're the absolute opposite of uh, of what an egg is but um he is also into lab-grown meat and his biggest company biggest prospect for the future is this company called good meat now they've just received fda approval to start selling their lab-grown meat in the u.s in the very near future will probably happen this year they're already selling lab-grown meat in singapore they call it cultured chicken Uh, and basically what it is is it's chicken cells that are cultivated in a bio a very particular kind of chicken cells i can talk about this in a moment uh the chicken cells that are harvested, cultivated in a bioreactor, and um, then prepared and sold as chicken nuggets, actually. But um, I looked into the FDA filings uh, for this new cultured meat product, uh, the filings that were made in support of its approval, and I discovered that, well, I discovered a really, a really dirty secret that I don't think Josh Tetrick, the founder, wants anybody to know, mm. despite the fact that these filings are public. And that is that the company that is actually producing his lab-grown chicken is a company called Join Biologics. Now, Join Biologics is a Chinese-owned company. It's a, it's a subsidiary of a company based in Beijing called Join Laboratories. And Join Biologics was in the news last year, last summer, when uh, it purchased 1,400 acres of land in Florida, which it wanted to turn into a primate breeding facility. Now, this um, this generated a bit of a hoo-ha at the time, and uh, it was raised in Congress, and, in, um, and uh, Governor DeSantis was talking about it. Because it turns out that Join Biologics is was founded by and is staffed by 
people who have very, very intimate ties to China's biowarfare program and and to the Military Academy of Sciences, I think it's called, um, which has been sanctioned by the US government for its ties to the to the Chinese biowarfare program, uh, its biotech links. And um uh yeah, so so the company that is the company that is helping uh introduce this totally novel food stuff to the whose safety we're not at whose safety is is unclear actually and we can talk about that in a moment but sure. um that seems to be uh, the theme with the stuff they're pushing lately <laughs> safety's unclear yeah. yeah exactly but but so we've got a company that's linked to the chinese military's biowarfare program and it is intimately linked to the biowarfare program um uh helping to introduce this novel food stuff now i mean one of the things that's that's awful about this story as well of course is that lab-grown meat is being presented as one of these foods of the future you hear that phrase all the time now yep. and it's supposed to be a sort of um an ethical food right you can enjoy real meat without any of the cruelty there's no slaughter no animals to be raised in factory farms etc and yet actually it turns out that this stuff is being made by a company that is one of the world's largest breeders of lab animals that breeds thousands and thousands of primates and, and other lab animals for experimentation for lives of unspeakable torture. So there's a horrible hypocrisy to this story as well, as there so often turns out to be with these supposedly ethical uh, products and ethical you know, environmental movements and so on. So it's, a, it's an interesting story on a, on a number of different levels, as well as being quite worrying. No, it sounds, uh, I think worrying is more than understating it. So, okay, so confirmed ties to the CCP, uh, buying up land in the United States, obviously raising the alarms high enough to get the attention of some members of Congress and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And now you say they're, they're one of the largest organizations that participates in, in animal breeding on the planet. If they're not making products that are animal-based or, or just using you know, cells mixed in with all these chemicals and, and seed oils to make a product right here. What are they doing with all these animals? Are the, are, are they just breeding them to test their bioweapons on? I should think that, yes, that, that some of the animals that they produce, so they have breeding facilities around the world. They have breeding facilities within China, and they've hoovered up a lot of Chinese companies that were breeding lab animals. So they they sort of monopolize, I think, the Chinese market for breeding them but they've also hoovered up lab animal lab animal breeders in the u.s on the east coast as well um so what they're doing is they're selling lab animals probably for uh experimentation for commercial purposes as well as well as um pharmaceutical research and all that kind of stuff i mean it's it's a nasty business but yes i i should think that they are probably also definitely selling lab animals for bioweapon research and that's that's very worrying indeed and that was raised that issue was raised at the time of the purchase in florida last year there was a big epoch times uh, article about it and members of the house were talking about it congress whatever it was um yeah it was a it was very very bad negative publicity for this company and ultimately actually although it still owns the land in florida it hasn't been able to go ahead with the plans to build the massive massive primate facility i mean they would have been shipping in primates from outside the u.s quarantining them breeding them and then selling them on oh yeah like that i, I think i've seen that movie before that never leads to a, a good ending uh to say the least well at least we've got 
Planet of the Apes is our. <laughs> uh, listen, Ren, you've been raising the overall health concerns about this lab-grown uh, food that America is now consuming as what's being marketed as a healthy alternative to, let's just say, beef or actual chicken, things of that nature, even dairy products, cheese, you name it now, they've got a fake food for it. I mean, me, it never resonated with me. I've never seen, like, if I walk past something in the store and there's, like, a steak on the shelf and then I see, like, a lab-grown steak and it looks like plastic, like a toy or a dog toy, it, it just never was something. But there are a lot of people who have bought into this con now and, and are literally poisoning their bodies the point i'm trying to make is here you've been raising the health concerns uh the risks to the actual what it could do to your body for a long time now do you just want to kind of touch again on on some of the negative things that's connected to this company that that have shown there are some real health concerns when you start to consume this crap on a regular basis so nobody in the u.s at the moment is consuming lab grown meat so this is a new this is a totally new thing but they are consuming things like plant-based meat yep. you know that's made by beyond meat and impossible that sort of stuff lab grown meat is very different so lab grown meat actually is meat but it's made with a special kind of cell called uh immortalized cells base or immortalized cell lines and what they are is is well the difference between them and, and standard um uh animal cells tissue samples is that they replicate endlessly um so normal cells if you if you took a normal sample of cells from say a chicken and put them in a bioreactor they would replicate only for so long and then and then you would have to harvest some more immortalized cell lines go on replicating endlessly so long as you keep them in the right conditions and keep feeding them and what that means essentially is that they are functionally in in a number of significant ways the same as cancer yeah and some immortalized cell lines notably the henrietta lacks hela um cell line actually are cancer so the henrietta lacks line was taken from a uterine cancer that a, that a woman died from at john hopkins hospital in uh i think it was 1956 but you can make normal cells into immortalized cells by for instance exposing them to radiation or to particular enzymes manipulating them genetically modifying them etc but the 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 short of the long and short of this is that we have no history as uh, you know human beings have no history of consuming these types of cells we've never consumed immortally replicating cells before so there are all sorts of quite quite um legitimate health worries about what might actually happen if we consume this kind of stuff on a regular basis and very respectable scientists have asked the question whether it might even potentially have uh tumorigenic properties mm. i.e cancer causing properties yep. we don't know and d do you want to be a, a lab rat i mean we, we've been lab rats for three years i mean do you want to do you want to go through that again? But the thing is, the FDA is is rushing ahead with it. People in Singapore are already eating this stuff. So uh, it looks like it is going to be on the market soon. I look at it this way. I don't want to be uh, a U.S. citizen version of a Chinese breeding primate. <laughs> so I am not going to be <laughs> participating or partaking in any kind of consumption of this garbage. Uh, and, and it's one of the things that, Ren, whenever you're getting these articles out, you just reach out and, and you'll be on the show. These are things that our listenership, that everybody needs to be made aware of and become more familiar with so they could see it, you know, not not only for the stuff that's pre-existing, like the, uh, you know, plant-based stuff, but but is this some of the, some of the things, the lab-grown things that are coming down the pike right now, very alarming and, and very disturbing. 
Last thing I wanted to touch with you on, I think it's huge, maybe even bigger than this story, is that the the man the man's world annual is coming down the pike right now, nice. and and our listenership needs to have one for their coffee tables, and we want you to just give a little bit of preview of what you got going on here. Yeah, so, well, there'll be another Man's World Annual coming out at the end of the year, sort of September, October time. I'm working on it at the moment. But what's coming up uh, at the beginning of July is the next issue of Man's World, issue 11, which is going to have some, it'll be star-studded. Uh, I've just been speaking to Amanda Melius, and she's going to be writing a piece about sports, mm. about basketball, I think. There'll be all, all sorts of stuff, some really unexpected um, things, interviews, features essays it's it's going to be absolutely packed Hil- some hilarious um fake more fake advertisements and things like that um <laughs> so that's coming out in july so so keep your eyes peeled uh we've got a website a really great website now mansworldmag.online where you can um access everything mansworld and i'm actually starting to publish individual articles uh from the magazine so you can share them so that they can go viral etc and and it's easier to read them rather than having to share the whole magazine so we've got we've got lots of lots of stuff coming coming down the pike it's coming thick and fast so pay attention to my twitter and uh hopefully you'll be able to keep up with all of it which is the last thing that we need from you my friend we're obviously gonna link mansworldmag.online in the show description today but can you just tell our listenership what our favorite (laughs) twitter handle is and we'll live link that in the show description as well yeah so my my twitter handle is baby gravy nine oh <laughs> there it is <laughs> this is the best-selling author and uh one of our great friends always glad when he comes in and provides some commentary as he's doing now regularly at the nationalpulse.com ran the raw nationalist thank you for joining us on the show today my pleasure all right picking it up Coming out a long weekend, not too bad of a way to get our show started this week. What do you think, Noah? Outstanding. I like it. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 240 other editions of the show, make sure you subscribe to us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Also, make sure you're following us on the nationalpulse.com. That's the nationalpulse.com. Sign up for Pulse Plus. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. First time sitting down, won't be the last with Dr. Ron Paul. Former ambassador to Denmark, Carla Sands, ran the Raw Egg Nationalist, and Richard Stern, economist from the Heritage Foundation. They helped making steak great again. Guys, don't worry, because we'll be back on Friday with episode 244 of the show. We've got a heater coming down the pike right now. True Social CEO Devin Nunes and America First Congressman Wesley Hunt are already scheduled to join us. So on behalf of the podcast team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week and take care. And join the Pulse Plus. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Powered by the National Pulse.